All right, welcome to episode 79. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently this episode. Usually I talk about like upcoming episodes and all that stuff. I'm going to save that for the end. Um, I don't even really know how to get into it. Something really crazy happened in Buffalo yesterday. And I feel like us as members of Hardcore and Punk and people who came up, up through it kind of have the beliefs in place uh, for the most part. And I kind of think it's our duty to kind of do more sometimes. So, um, you know, we, we live really close to what happened, obviously. And I think my um, guests and I not probably feel the same way that I do, that it's, it's really fucked up that this happened. And obviously, you know, it's funny because I was just talking to my girlfriend the other day about how it, it seemed like some of this stuff had quite, kind of quieted down. And obviously, it's not going anywhere. Um, we are going to talk about the bands and stuff that my guest has been in over the years at some point tonight, too. But I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit first. Uh, so with all that being said, uh, my first uh, guest is uh, Travis uh, Johansson. How are you doing tonight, Travis? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. And, and uh, helping me along with this interview tonight is going to be Greg Benoit from Rochester Hardcore History. How's everything going for you tonight, Greg? Hey, good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on tonight, Josh. Yeah, like I said uh, in the intro, I, I know so, like we had we had actually planned on. Well, I didn't mention this part, but you you guys and me had planned on doing this interview a few nights ago. So this this wouldn't have even happened. Uh, just kind of ha so happens that we're doing this interview right after all this crazy shit happened. So um, I'm, we're not going to spend a whole episode talking about it, but it's obviously I'm sure on your guys's minds too. So um, I'll just open the floor, uh, uh, Greg, if you want to jump in, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Um, it, obviously, it was very surprising to hear the news about that. Uh, shooting, especially because it's so close to Rochester. I was in Buffalo the other day uh, for the weekend uh, to check out the California takeover show that uh, had recently been rescheduled. And Buffalo is obviously a place I've been to many times, not only just for hardcore shows, but my, my grandmother lived in Buffalo for most of her life. Uh, my, my mother and many of my family members grew up in Buffalo. So I, I feel like it's a second home. Um, and it, it always, it always, uh, it always it always brings it really close when you're in the place and in the city and you know you know this thing was going to happen you know less than 24 hours later um you know it really helps you feel uh, uh, for the people of the city um beyond just the people who are impacted um but I, I appreciate that you're mentioning this on the show because obviously racism is central to this whole shooting and to me, you know, it's been here the whole time. I, I'm not really sure whether I feel comfortable saying I think it's getting, uh, you know, better or worse. Um, I, I think that we're just becoming more aware of it. Um, but we do have a role to play in confronting it because I think we're, we're people who have taken the work to kind of liberate our minds uh, and, uh, and, 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 take take it upon ourselves to to empathize with others and to see things from other people's perspectives to understand that there's more than one way of looking at things so thank you for mentioning it yeah i i echo pretty much everything you said um it's it's super fucked up and you know um yeah it's like we want to believe that our society is so far ahead and advanced in this and that like you know we I feel like when when I was growing up in high school and stuff, you know, I mean, I'm from Fairport, New York, so it's like pretty like liberal town. Um, you know, it's I feel like there was a lot of like back padding being like, yeah, we're like good. We're not really like a racist society or whatever. And, you know, it's easy to to grow up believing that. But then when you actually, I think, step out into society and sort of like see a different side of things, um, you know, uh, you know that it's still there. And I, I know like one of the things that's really important to me that I got from 
you know, going to all the shows early on and being a part of like the hardcore scene in Rochester was this sort of like um, socially liberal attitude, which was, um, you know, it's a little, little different than what I grew up with uh, in my home. And not to say that like, you know, my parents were not liberal by any means, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, it's uh, once you get out into the world and I think start seeing different perspectives and you sort of, uh, sit back and listen, uh, I think you you see something totally different and you can kind of become more aware of the, the nuance around it. And I, I, you know, I think this is a perfect example of like, you know, um, where we're at. I mean, think about like Black Lives Matter over the last couple of years, like really having um, its moment in, in like the news. And to me, it's just really crazy that like people push back against a, a thing that's like, like it's become so politicized and it's like, no, it literally is just about like black lives mattering. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, it just seems absurd to me that you can fight that and that you would not agree with that. And like, I, I don't know. I mean, clearly there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that like, doesn't make sense to me. And it, it's totally, um, screwy. And it's just a huge tragedy that the Buffalo thing, I've, it's definitely been weighing on my head, uh, for the last, you know 24 hours yeah it was crazy my my girlfriend and i took the kids to get ice cream last night and the whole time just sitting there like watching all the other families like thinking like this this doesn't even seem real you know what i mean it's just so crazy and that's mm -hmm. like a big that's a big reason why i've been thinking about the whole time why i wanted to bring it up on here too is like i know from reconnecting with greg and talking with him a lot over the last couple of years like being parents like this is something that that i think about a lot now like having kids like the kid that did this yesterday is 18 you know what i mean like Something I talked about on here a couple of times recently is like being in junior high or high school during COVID and having all these like crazy things happen and not really knowing how to adapt to it. Like, I'm not going to make any excuses for what this kid did. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying, like, now that I'm a parent and like my son fucks around on the tablet and stuff, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so many crazy people and crazy fuse out there. And this kid obviously got radicalized somewhere. And like, what did his parents think about all this? You know what I mean? Like. And like, I don't want to fail my either one of my kids now. Like, and I think about that every day, especially when shit like this happens, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so. I think it's, it's totally like one of those things too, where we're in a very unique period of time where like, um, yeah, again, I'm a pretty liberal guy. I'd say I'm like, I'd probably be considered like far left. Um, but you know, it's, it's, um, I think that we, we have these sort of like crazy things in the media where it's just like this like vitriol is like amplified and, and it's, you know, I mean, the, the elephant in the room is like Fox news. And I feel like you watch those like pundits and they're just like vicious and mean and nasty. And then it's, you know, you watch MSNBC and CNN and I think you get some of the same stuff, but it's like obviously from the left. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's just like, we're in this very bizarre time where like these sort of fringy ideas are just like getting it, getting their moment like on the news and it's like, it's so wacky. And it's, I think it like started out as like a ratings generation thing. Cause it's like, you get your, your like viewership like fired up and then they, you know, they're like feeling like ramped up from that. And it's like, like it just like amplifies it so much more. And it's like, then you think about like Twitter and things like that, where it's like almost like a cesspool of just like people just being shitty cause they can do so behind like a screen and their keyboard. Yeah, I, I, both of you are saying things that resonate with me. And, and Josh, I'm glad you spoke to the experience of being a parent 
uh, because when I heard about the the shooting, immediately you think about, well, what what if I was in that store with my kids doing our like weekly grocery shopping? Um, you know, that's obviously the first place you know your mind goes. Um, but also, kind of, I think like Josh, my mind also goes like, how do I ensure that my kid doesn't turn out like this? And how do I you know raise my kid with the right kind of values and coping mechanisms so that he doesn't give in to anger? And again, you know, not making excuses for him, um, you know, at all, because what he did was unconscionable. But at some point, you know, a, a parent or a mentor in his life could have intervened and maybe had an, a, a positive impact. And when was that last point? Um, you know, how do I as a parent know when I'm approaching the point of no return? Uh, or how do I know, you know, something that seems innocuous, like just giving your kid an iPad to keep them busy for an afternoon or for an hour while you do some work. How do you know that's not going to turn into something that that leads to this? Um, I also what you're saying, Travis, too, about, you know, traditional media and social media. Um, you know, I, I know that this racism was there when I was a kid. I don't know that I was as aware of it because we didn't have the Internet in the form that it is today where we could see into the lives of other people and kind of see what their thoughts are about, you know, things like race and politics. Um, but I think one thing that the internet has done is it's, I, it's just had to have drawn this kind of hate out of us in a way that, that I don't know that it would have without the internet. I think the internet and social media in particular is just too great a temptation for too many people because you really can use it to reach into the lives of others, um, you know, just to say something or to tear somebody down on the other side of the country who's trying to live their authentic life online. And, um, you know, that that's a powerful thing. It, 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 in a way, it almost gets you high, like you've just crushed somebody's uh, sense of self. And if you think their sense of self is politically or culturally offensive to you, then, you know, you very, very, very much run the risk of, of using that dynamic like a drug. And eventually it's not enough just to, to tear people down online. You have to do something in, in reality. So um, what you're both saying resonates with me. And, and I, I kind of see this as, I guess, a learning opportunity for me as a parent, but also a learning opportunity for me and just practicing kind of mindfulness and compassion around how I treat other people, uh, even in innocuous situations. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that like, you know, um, it's, it's, there's probably so many factors that go into this, you know, like what, what was this, this kid's life like, you know, surrounding it and like, yeah, who was there sort of like in the background to like, see where this was headed. And sometimes maybe you don't see it like you can't, um, but it, it also, this, this sort of part of the conversation reminds me of a book that I was reading recently called like breaking the social media prism and sort of like the way that like people get like wrapped up in some of this like vitriol where it's like, it's usually like people who feel like isolated in their like normal societies. Let's say you live in like a big city or in like a, a blue bubble or something and you're like the sole conservative out of like everyone around you. And you know, you basically you go online and you find camaraderie with somebody else. And it's like, it's like you, start talking smack to someone on the internet. And then all of a sudden, like all these people come and are like liking it and they're like boosting you up, even though it like really is just like, I mean, it's inconsequential, but of course it, it leads to like worse things. Um, but it sort of like gives, it gives these people these like 
sort of pings of, of gratification, I guess it would be the word that to, to put to it. And it's, it's just like, I don't know. I, I like, I can't engage with it. And I, I used to like, kind of, I feel like I never like actively went out and like tried to shit talk on the internet, but like, I definitely like watch it unfold and it would get me like pretty upset. Like when I'm just like, Oh, this, like none of this makes sense. And it's just like people being crummy to one another. Um, but I, I pretty much try to like tune that out now. Cause it's like, it's just like, does not serve our society. And I feel like there's a lot of people like in the middle of this, like very moderate, like minded people who maybe lean a little bit to the left, who lean a little bit to the right. And it's like all of these like big voices and these big thoughts are like pushing like otherwise reasonable people like out of the dialogue. And it like just becomes this crazy echo chamber of like just nutty thoughts. And yeah, it's, it's wacky. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely living in definitely interesting times. I know there'll be a lot more to touch on with this. I wouldn't be surprised if this comes back up in the conversation tonight. Yeah. Um, like I said, I do feel kind of like, I don't know, weird or, or odd doing like something like this right now with everything going on. But um, I guess as they say, the show must go on. So um, let's try to kind of focus on your interview for now, Travis, that we were planning yeah. on doing initially. Yeah. Um, you were kind of talking to me beforehand. I think you have a connection to kind of how you found uh, hardcore and punk through our local scene. Um, so maybe tell us about your, your upbringing and then just finding hardcore yeah, and punk, totally. I guess. Yeah, so um, like I grew up in Fairport, New York, uh, like uh, several of the guests uh, previous to me. Um, Greg, you're a Fair, Fairportian, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like there was a huge contingent of like Fairport kids and like the Rochester hardcore scene. It was like, seemed like it was like Penfield, Henrietta, um, Rochester, uh, Fairport. So um, yeah, growing up, uh, basically my parents, they're from around here. So like my dad grew up in like Penfield and Ronaquay and my mom grew up in Macedon. Um, and they basically, they met at RIT. They moved to Illinois and I was born in Illinois. And then uh, when I was like one or two, they moved to New Jersey and we lived there till I was about five. And then, um, like in probably around like 1990-ish, we moved to Fairport. And basically I grew up in Fairport. Um, I went to RIT. Uh, so I've, I've been around here for a while. Uh, I've played in like a million bands, but um, yeah, my dad was a musician and he played guitar and bass. So like, I think one of my like early formative like memories was like going down in my parents' basement and just seeing my dad's like guitar rig. And I was like, there's probably something to this like and I was like tiny and it like didn't make sense but uh it I clearly now like looking back on that I'm like it makes so much sense because I think about like how like I basically my taste in like instruments is the same as my dad um so uh yeah like he basically turned me on to stuff like Jimi Hendrix um Led Zeppelin like ACDC I remember rating his like CDs when I was a kid like he had like talking heads he was always listening to like um, WBER. So I always had like, you know, some sense of like alternative music. And I remember like, um, like it clicked like again, like so many years later, but we were listening to like, uh, like Paul Westerberg from The Replacements. And like, I totally came to The Replacements at like age 27 or something. And, uh, but I remember listening to like 14 songs with my dad in the car and like my dad, like singing along with it. And so, um, I think it's like, it's like pretty clear, like that I always was sort of interested in like, um, alternative music. 
And like my mom was like, she was kind of like a hippie in the seventies. So she really like turned me on to like, um, like Grateful Dead, Fleetwood Mac, Bob Dylan, uh, Pink Floyd. And like, she was really into Bowie. Like we, uh, I, I, I like joke that like, we used, we used to watch the, the Labyrinth with David Bowie, like all the time. And I think it's like, cause my mom was so into Bowie, but like, it was also just an awesome like fantasy movie. Um, so yeah, like, uh, that was sort of like my, my like roots growing up and, you know, I was always like kind of into like Weezer and like, I think my first CD ever was like the rentals. So I, I like kind of like fuzzy stuff. I remember that like dinosaur junior video from, uh, feel it all or feel, feel the pain. And it's like the guys like golfing around like a big city and like totally just being like thinking that that was like the coolest guitar sound ever, like cool hooks. And, um, yeah, so like the, the funny, the funny thing I want to mention is, uh, goes out to like a previous interviewee, Jimmy Stat. So we were both in guitar club in like middle school. And so I remember like what would happen is it'd just be like a bunch of us just like all sitting around, probably like six of us. And we just like all play a song and we'd be like, this is a song I learned, like, let's play this riff together. And, um, so I think one time like Jimmy brought in like an op Ivy CD and I was like, whoa, this is like so cool. And I was just like. I was sort of like blown away. I remember like asking my dad to take me to like Fantastic Records when it was like down um, on Monroe or was it was uh, no, not it was um, not fantastic, but uh, like whatever turned into like CD exchange. Lakeshore and Lakeshore. Yes, that's right. It was Lakeshore. And I like begged him to buy me that like Op Ivy CD. And that was sort of like my first like real intro to punk. I definitely like, you know, after that, it was like everyone knew who everyone was and like we all like if, if you were a musician in like Fairport in like middle school or high school like you knew who everybody was and you knew like who was kind of like into the same things so like uh you interviewed Nick Lemesis and um he and I I think we were in the same like homeroom in like seventh grade and like he was like yeah I'm like a drummer and I was like cool I play guitar like so we would go and like hang out and I'd go to his house I remember like the first time we were at his house his dad came down and his dad's a guitar player and he's like looking at all my stuff and he's like you got some like really weird cool like old stuff here like where did where'd you get that and i was like yeah so my dad plays and he says huh does your dad play bass I said, yeah I, I, he plays bass a little bit so he asked me to ask my dad to come in and talk to him after we had our like first like jam session and like my dad ended up joining his dad's band so like <laughs> they played in a band and then nick and i played in a band um that's what yeah, I got to so, do. Like, I got to steal my kids' friends' parents for my own yeah. friends. That's how yeah. you make friends as an adult, right? I think so, yeah. And it's crazy. My dad, like, he he played in bands before I was born. And then when I was born, he, like, didn't play in bands at all. And so, like, this little interaction, like, he's been playing in bands ever since. Like, he's he plays in, like, a bunch of blues bands and stuff around town. That's good. Um, yeah, it's cool. Um but like, you know, to be fair, I also kind of had like maybe a little bit of that like Greg Ginn moment where like my first concert was totally like a hippie show. Like I was totally like into all that like dead stuff. My first concert that I truly went to was in like 1998 and it was a fish show. It was like, a, it was crazy. This is like, I can't believe that my parents like let me go see this. We got like a bunch of people in like a minivan and like drove to like Vernon Downs and like got a hotel room and like my aunt went and my cousins and I went and it was just like, I think about that. I was like, what? I was like 13, 12 when I was like walking around this show. 
And like, I just, and my mind is blown that like my parents like let me do that at like, <laughs> you know, I was like just out of like eighth grade. Um, so yeah, that was sort of like the, the intro of me like getting into music. And then, um, so, you know, like I was saying, like we all like knew who everybody was and there was like little clicks. So like, a, I, I forget like who really was like kind of like the instigator of this, but we were all kind of like getting into like heavier music and like we found out at, like that there were like these shows going on at like uh, like lodges or like VFWs and things like that. And like I think I think we had probably been going to like shows at the Fairport Teen Center. I think like maybe we had seen like uh, I think there was like this like new metal band called Division Nine. It wasn't wasn't really like hardcore, but we were like, okay, this is cool. And like what what a place to go to as a kid when you're just like, what am I gonna do? It's like you know you're bored. You like don't, what are you going to do? Go to like movies all the time. I mean, you could, but like, you want to hang out with your friends and it's like Friday night, every, every Friday night, there was a show at the Fairport yeah. Teen Center. So you go and you would hang out. And I, I was hoping um, you would mention the Fairport Teen Center because that was such an integral part of, I think all of the success of the bands that were coming out of Fairport was that yeah. you had that venue there and, um, it was like safe. Like I had friends whose parents would never let them go to a show at the vertex, but then they could yeah. go and see like stand fast or distant second or borderline or to fester within play yeah. at the teen center. And they, their parents would see like, Oh, these are like basically good kids. And you know, it's like, okay. And so that was a real easy foot in the door for so many kids. I mean, I, I, I hesitate. I'd probably take up too much time if we sat here and rattled off every like punk and hardcore and metal band that came out of Fairport of that era. Um, right. Man, that was a real special thing that I, I think I took for granted at the time. Like that really was an incubator that generated some, some, some bands that were okay, some bands that were good, then some bands yeah. that were pretty mediocre. But then those people went on to make, you know, other bands that are still around today. So it, it was, it was, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I remember like your little brother, Jono, being there and like, um, you know, I went to a baby shower today for uh, my friend Adam Maida, who played in like Like Wolves and he plays in Pamela, who I, I play in now too. And like, you know, just so many people were there that like I had met like through the music scene. And I feel like those friendships kind of like never went away. Um, it, it was definitely like a real special, special time. Um, and I just, I remember like, it was kind of one of those things where you're just like, you felt like you were in on some secret and you're like, this is so cool. Like all of this, like, like energy. And like, we're just like playing instruments, like in front of people, like, and you know, it's like, I remember my parents, like sometimes being like, so wait, you guys like write your own songs. And we're like, yeah. And it's like, it, I, th I think that's like, just so like, uh, just a really cool thing. And um, yeah. So to get back to like the hardcore scene, um, so my very first like hardcore show, like I, a lot of people I think have talked about this and I think it was like one of the most like monumental like hardcore shows in, um, it was in Fairport. It was at the uh, VFW. And Josh, I think, did you book this show? This was the um, Stand Fast. Uh, it was what, Miles Between Us. Uh, and you, I think you just interviewed them. Strike Anywhere, Trouble Loves Me. Count me and, out. Like, count me out. Yeah, I remember that show. Like it was just like so wild and like, was my first experience like seeing like just like just an un like it was like cracking open like the world to me and uh i remember like 
I had no idea like what moshing was. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, and uh, you saw like, for the first time I saw like everyone like rush, like Rory on the mic and like start singing along. And I was like, this is some like crazy energy. I'm like so into this. And I remember like trying to mosh and like, I mean, this is like 16 year old me, 17 year old me. And like someone like was like throwing punches in the back of the like pit or whatever. And like, I totally just like caught one in my back and I was like, I think I like keeled over and I like couldn't stand up straight the rest of the night, but like clearly it didn't keep me from like going to shows. I think like it, it was just like, it was such a wild like night. And I remember like all of my friends and we were like, we got to do this. And I think like shortly thereafter, we like started our, our band borderline, which was like me and Nick Lemesis and Jeff Weisenborn for the most part with like a rotating bunch of bass players, like our friend, Troy, our friend, um, Aaron, uh, we a friend from Barkley. I, I feel like I don't want to list everybody because I feel like I'll miss a name. But um, yeah, so like that, that was like the crew that I hung out with. I hung out a lot with like um, those guys and then like all the two Fester Within crew. So like Dave and Adam and Jeff and Nick and I, like we always had lunch together. And like, you know, so we would always like geek out about like the bands that we were like getting into like i think it was like hope's hope, hope conspiracy like converge came up a lot and like yeah i just i i totally loved it um i also like you know it's like i was a big hardcore fan but i also was listening to a lot of like indie rock and like so like i don't know the i don't know if it was like second wave emo but it was like you know i think i think most hardcore kids were probably like this is like cheese ball shit but like I loved it and it kind of got me into like all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, I think like, like Adam, when I was listening to his episode, he was saying something like, Jesus Christ, what does everyone in Rochester like go to art school? Cause it's like all artsy fartsy, like hardcore. And like, I just like, I laughed cause I was like, that's totally me to a T. Like, I just like love that. Like the weirder, like crazier stuff. Like I was super into like Orchid and like page 99. That was, that was another crazy show. I remember walking into like the page 99 show at like Brighton Town Park. And it was just like, I remember just like seeing these like stacks, like full stacks of amps. And it was like three guitar players, two bass players, one drummer and like two singers. And I just like, it blew my mind like so wide open. And I was just like, this is like so chaotic and so emotional and like so like um, just like explosive. And I was, I just like, yeah, I was so into that. And like, it, it really, uh, it really got me started on, um, a lot of like hardcore stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 uh, Fairport VFW show that you mentioned was stand fast and strike anywhere. That one stands out in my mind. And I think I've on the Rochester hardcore history, Instagram included the flyer for that. Um, in a couple different lineups that I've made of like my favorite shows in Rochester that I've been to. Um, and that one's definitely in my top 10. And I think for me, it was because I got, I could tell that it was a good crowd and it was like a young crowd with a lot of, a lot of kids who were going to stick around. Um, mm -hmm. But what made that show special for me was I think there's a couple of times Stanfest, I think played there at that VFW, but I think this is the show yeah. where um, did Stanfest headline that show or did strike anywhere? Pretty sure Stanfest did. Yeah. yeah. And, and my recollection is they got like a better crowd response than strike anywhere. And I remember thinking like, oh, holy shit, like our local band, like not really showed up or upstaged the, the national touring act. But, um, you know, I remember like feeling proud of my city and my scene and my music community uh, because 
you know, we brought it as an audience uh, for Standfast. And I think I recall Standfast, I don't know if it was the, later that summer or the following one, they did like a, a week or a weekend with Strike Anywhere too. Um, but that was that was a phenomenal show, and I'm so excited that that was like your first uh, yeah. your first like bona fide hardcore show. That was a yeah. that was a great show to have be a first show, right? Yeah, and like I just I it just I remember like you know getting a hold of that Standfast uh, full length and just being like so blown away. Like it was so cool to just like you know it was like these 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 people from Fairport who were doing something and they were like really doing it. And like, it was so put together and it was like, so, you know, um, it was like the real deal. Like it was, I remember holding onto that package and being like, this is like a CD that someone like in our like town, like made. And it was like sort of that first moment where like, I think, and I think a lot of people felt this way is that they were like, yeah, we can totally do this. Like we can totally like, you know, it, it's not that like, you know, fame and fortune is something maybe you're after, um, but it's like so much of that, like, you know, let's, let's do it because music is special and it's important. And I think like, you know, um, you know, specifically with Standfasts, um, it was so like amazing and like uh, inspiring too, that like the, the, the people who were like writing these songs and the, the message that they were carrying, like, it just was like, positive and it was like um you know i loved like that it it sort of was like it was this like artful thing but it also like had something to say and i think mm -hmm. that that like i really like that carried carries through to like a lot of the stuff that like you know um like i still i still feel that way and it's still like um i still try to carry that through to a lot of my creative endeavors where like i'm the main writer or like i'm you know uh doing uh some of the the heavier creative work um yeah and it's like i mean you know i definitely want to like tip my hat to you josh and and people like john 25 who are booking shows um because i mean a it's not like an easy endeavor and b it's like you know i mean like it's it's cool that we all got to like witness all these things because of, of that sort of movement but um that whole DIY ethic and, and ethos, like, I feel like really like took hold. And um, I started booking shows like a couple of years later. So like, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I should like go chronologically here if we're, if we're thinking about like history, but like, you know, in later years, I, uh, it's like after college, I became like a curator at the AV space. And um, I was probably there for like six or seven months before it got shut down, which was totally a bummer because uh you know, that was such an amazing space, but, um, yeah, I was totally like booking shows there. Um, and I was, we booked shows out of our like RIT apartment. Like, uh, so there were, there were two apartments on campus. There was like, I think it was like the Posi palace, which was like, um, that was like, uh, I feel like Dan Brass and like a bunch of those guys that was like a little bit ahead of my time. Um, but, I, I ended up living at 265A, which was where Dan Danger lived. And he was my roommate for like my first year of college. And like, we, I don't think we ever had a show while Dan was living there, but after he moved out, like I would book like crazy shows. Like I got this like dude, Jason Anderson, who was like on K records. And he was like this acoustic singer songwriter guy. And he like, I remember we packed like a hundred some odd kids in my apartment and like, they're all standing around him and like, screaming his lyrics and like having a sing-along and it was like it totally felt like that like 
hardcore punk like DIY thing. And um, like through that, I, I got to meet like a lot of like incredible like uh, acts like Deer Tick, which like, I don't know if you guys know them, but it's like, he got pretty big, like John McCauley, like that dude played my apartment to like 20 people in like in Rochester. And then like, I was thinking about it like years later when he's playing at like, you know, the armory and I'm like, I wonder if that <laughs> dude like remembered that show. Like, and I'm sure he did. And he's, he's a great guy. We actually like, I was doing a tour like a couple of years later where it was like a bunch of solo acts or I was like playing drums for my friend, Tim Wilson and his band, A Wonderful, which was like an indie bedroom pop thing. And uh, we, we got like John to hook us up with a show in Rhode Island. And like, it was the day before Thanksgiving. And it was just like, no one showed up because like everyone was home with their families. Rhode Island was like, uh, it was in like Providence. So it was like, everyone's who's a younger person is like back home with their families. But like John and like these two other dudes just like started ripping these like Nirvana covers and like playing like all these grunge songs. And it was like, it was awesome. It was like so much fun. That uh, I, I think uh, the the cover of the Witness 7-inch was taken in, uh, in, in your apartment there at a, uh on campus um i can't remember if it was at your place or the the other the other apartment that you had mentioned earlier but those are some yeah. fun shows and uh i guess i kind of miss that i feel like now that i'm older i don't really have my finger on the pulse of what like college kids are doing but there's probably some yeah. some uh something going on in, in some of those uh some of those dorms right now as we speak right. um one thing i just wanted to circle back to before we uh um you know before we we go on to other things um uh, you had mentioned just, uh, uh, you know, like Deer Tick playing a, a show for 20 people and, and then uh, hitting later success. Um, the Teen Center had a little bit of that, too. I, I have some flyers that I've been meaning to post. One of them is, I think, for like a, that band Plain White Tees opening at the Teen Center. Oh, yeah. Um, like kind of crazy that they played there. And then I have a couple flyers that I've already posted. Uh, but like since we were mentioning Standfast, I think Standfast has the the um, distinction of being able to say both brand new and um, like my chemical romance open for them at like Westcott <laughs> Community Center or something. I got to track wild. those down. I got to track those down. But funny stuff like that happens when you start taking matters into your own hands and booking your own shows. Yeah. Yeah. I remember brand new playing at the teen center and I was like, Oh, these guys are okay. And then like, um, yeah, it was like totally bonkers. That's, it's like weird what we used to get in Rochester and like, I, we still kind of are getting like really cool shows like all, all across the board. But like um, on that same note, like I feel like I have like, like indie cred bragging rights, quote unquote, where like I, it was like 2004, I was getting off of my shift at like tops and I was like heading over to the bug jar because I want to see this band called the Unicorns, which is like just a fun like, indie rock band and like the arcade fire was opening for them and they were like just no one knew who they were but they like blew like everyone's minds I almost didn't get in and this is like before I was like super connected to like the bug jar because like I used to DJ there throughout like basically the end of college to like 2013 and like we had a, we had a crazy like Thursday night like DJ thing that would go on there like indie rock dance night um but yeah, I like, I managed to like squeeze it in. I was like 18 or 19 at that time. And like the door guy had to ask like Bobby T if, if I could get in and Bobby T like what, showed me some mercy and was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let him in. And like, I didn't even know who he was at that point. And like, now it's like, you know, I'm on such good terms with all, all those, those people over there. 
isn't Arcade Fire the band that they won the Grammy and everybody was like tweeting like who the fuck is this band or whatever afterwards? It could be. It's like, like it I that. feel like I feel like yeah, they won like best albums. Yeah, it probably could have been like I I like I like that like first EP and I like that yeah. first album, but I remember just being like, oh, this band's like pretty cool. And then I like went to college the next year, like for the my my second like year of college at RIT, and like someone came up to me in like my art history class and was like, dude. Uh, that's like arcade fire is like so amazing i can't believe like that's like you got that pin on your jacket or whatever and i was like cool yeah i totally forgot about them until like you mentioned it because like it's just like it was like it was a cool moment but it like was in one ear kind of out the other but i went uh, through this phase where i downloaded a lot of shit during the the ipad years or whatever or ipod years and that that really wasn't for me i mean you know it's not i'm obviously i'm more of like a hardcore and hip-hop type of person but I was like, this is not really for me. But there's a couple of things you said earlier that I just kind of noticed that after interviewing so many people from Fairport now, this one I'm kind of noticing now, like you said, your parents were from here and then they relocated back here. I feel like a lot of people I've interviewed have that same story where their parents moved somewhere else for a little while and then they came back here and they settled back in Fairport. So there might be something to that. I don't know. But then the other thing that you mentioned that I think has never really come up on this podcast before, but I'm thinking about it. And especially you talking about other cities like Providence and other like college towns like that. We've got a really diverse and eclectic music scene here. And I've never really thought about it. It's, it's probably because yeah. of all the colleges here. You know what I mean? You have so many people coming and going from yeah. like different places, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, so it, it's, I was actually thinking about this through something you were saying, uh, Greg, about like, like what's going on on campus now and how we like don't know about it. And I remember like being at RIT that like first year, and like, I, I, I like, I was on the fence about going to RIT. Like I was either going to go there or like um, Art Academy of Cincinnati. But I was like, you know what? I like, I feel like there's something about like RIT was kind of like my stretch school. And I was, I was thinking about like, I know there's like a music scene here because I've already been a part of it. And like, um, like I remember uh, like my first basically like the, my first year of college, like I, I was friends with Dan Danger from the Hue of Two. And he was saying something like, oh yeah, I think we like need to like find someone else to like be in this band. Cause uh, Adam Francie was singing that from the Marla Singer Affair. And uh, I guess he like came back from like that, that, cause I really liked that band before I was in it. And I was like watching their first couple shows and I watched them like open for Joan of Arc at Milestones. And I think I gave like Dan a ride to like that, that Lyle Lab show space club sandwich uh, as it's affectionately known to some. Uh, and like, so it was like literally like the week before classes started and Dan's like, yes, yeah, so, like, do you want to be in like the Hue of Two? And like, I think like, yeah, we'll get like Holly to sing too. So like, we'll have like three guitar players and two like singers, three singers. And I was like, fuck yeah, totally. I'm into this. And like, I sliced the tip of my finger off like the first day of my like 3D class. And my, my 3D professor was like, all right, nobody be a fucking asshole. And like, cut your fingers off. And of course I did that. I had to learn all of the songs like for that band with like three fingers. I did it. It was, it was, it was cool, but like, it was definitely like a challenge. But um, all that's to say, like to, to go back to the point of like thinking about like what's going on on campus. I remember like after that year like basically the hue of two was around till like 2005 i think we had maybe like two years of me being at rit before we broke up and everyone kind of went their different ways and like moved to other cities 
um, you know, because everyone was graduating college. Everyone in the band was older than me. I was like the baby. Um, but like, I remember being in bands like right after that. And there was like an RIT scene of like three or four bands and like they never played downtown. Like maybe they would play at Bug Jar every now and then, but like no one off campus knew who they were. And then there was like this whole hardcore scene going on and like this like punk scene. And it was like, it, it was just like, like these different worlds. And I feel like they could not be more far removed even though they were like right in the same town. And I think like today, because like, you know, I think like, I, I feel like a lot of my friends who were maybe like, staunch purists of like punk and stuff have like opened up their minds a little more and like are into like all kinds of things um like I think now there's like just such a different like thing going on like I like there's everyone will go to all kinds of shows and it's less about like uh like a, a specific a specific scene being in like one genre but it's about like yeah we're all just like friends and we all play all kinds of music and like um you know I remember like there was a show at AV space that was like a two-day fest that maybe Josh, I don't know if it was you or um, John 25 maybe booked this, but um, it was like mostly punk and hardcore bands. And like someone asked me to play solo because I used to do this thing where I would like loop guitar and sit down and play drums. And like, it was not hardcore whatsoever, but like there were other bands on that bill that were like not quite full on like hardcore bands. So it was like kind of cool. And it was like meant to be this like mixing of like genres. And it was, it was like definitely, I think, um, it was really cool and everyone was like super supportive and it just like it was just like one of those moments where it was like yeah hell yeah we like really got it going on here and like all the shows were always packed like all the time i feel like like we had a really really good deal it's interesting because the whole uh idea of the mixed bill comes up on the podcast a lot and and tom ranger in the last episode pointed out that like i mean he was more talking about his era like the early 90s but i feel like even during our era like which stretches out to what you're talking about now, like that wouldn't have even been called a mixed bill. It would have just been a hardcore show. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we yeah. got to some point where there was like 25 different subgenres of hardcore, you know what I mean? And now they all have their own different little clicks and scenes. And yeah. I, I know you, you, Greg, you and I have talked to Travis about doing something in the future that would kind of put everything back together, like how we used to. And I'm sure we'll, we'll work on that more eventually, you know, but like stuff like that definitely needs to come back. And Definitely. you're referencing uh, I don't, I don't, I was not one of the club sandwich people. I would refer to it as a Lyle lab space, but, um, <laughs> um, that, that venue, I feel like we definitely still were doing a lot of mixed shows there. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously yeah. we talked about petty prom in the bad business episode, yep. you know what I mean? Like, and there, and there was a lot of, I feel like that was just like the last era really of like a ton of mixed bills. I mean, that, that I remember anyways, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, there was something funny you said about like uh, like the downloading period of time, and, and this is something I wanted to bring up because uh, I don't know I haven't heard this yet on the on the podcast, but some of you may remember uh, there was like an RIT FTP server, and it was oh run yeah by, yeah it was run by that guy like Mitch who yep. was like I yeah think he was, he was He's like from an engineer yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know him super well and like but he was an RIT guy and he was like in his last year when I was in my first year and I, but I knew like through all the hardcore message boards, like he like set up this FTP server and it was like groundbreaking for me. Like I found out so much cool music from that. Cause like basically anyone could have the login information and then they could just go in there and there were just folders of tons of music. So like you would go on the message board and someone would be like, Oh, this album, like just dropped, go check it out. And it was like, there was, all kinds of stuff. It was like a lot of hardcore, but there was also like, um, like, I mean, a lot of like, 
like indie rock stuff, like emo stuff, like I think like level plane records and like robotic empire, but like, you know, it just, it spanned like everything. And I, I remember just like being turned on to so many cool bands that way. And I was like, that's like, what a cool thing. And like, what a nerdy, like RIT thing to have, but like just another like thing that was like, I feel like really unique and special about like Rochester and like what we had access to. What was great about that point in time too was like that was like the technology was just good enough that if somebody knew exactly what they were doing and they had all the right chops and knowledge, they could set something like that up and it would just turn into this great abundance of new music for everybody. And now it's so easy with Spotify and Apple Music, it's all done for you. Um, But that FTP server and then another one that I also was using at the same time is kind of what I was thinking about when I started putting um, old demos and seven inches up on the Rochester hardcore history SoundCloud. Um, I just loved, you know, that, you know, and I know we have Apple music and there's, you know, I I think like Stanfast is on some of those streaming services now. So there's like some pretty deep cuts on there, but um, yeah, I I just love putting it all in one place and letting people pour over it and find new things. Yeah. Oh, it's super rad. Like, I mean, thanks for doing that stuff. Like, um, like, so I know you like work as a librarian and like, I, my background is like, I'm totally like an art kid. And like, I went, I, I work in at mag now. Um, but like, I worked in a library before that for like six years in special collections. So like, yeah, it's like, I remember when you started that, I was like, Oh, finally, yes, someone's doing this. This is so cool. And like, um, it's just, it's such a treasure to go look through and like, go back to like some of this stuff that like, I totally forgot about. Cause like, I find myself like going online now and like looking at discogs and being like, oh man, I like haven't heard this band in forever. And I, it's like not anywhere and it's not streaming and I got to buy this. So I end up like rebuying CDs I probably bought like 20 years ago. Um, but it's like, it's, it's cool. Cause you can just like go back and see like all of these bands. And some of these bands were like, you know, fabled in like um, the conversation of like my friends. I remember like, um, like we all started to geek about like um like distant second and we were like that's like so cool because like you know i love that like kind of like uh like tortured like singy screamy stuff and like i was just like oh yeah this is like speaking to my soul um but it's like it's, it's so comprehensive you've got like so much stuff up there and it's like it's just a blast like go back and like look through some of this stuff Got to do a better job getting stuff that's from like 2008 onward, because that was when I like kind of dropped off and started to take my job like too seriously. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, like you have to I, I, I'm I think I knew that you worked in museums and uh, uh, kind of the, the things that drive people to work in libraries is, I think, similar to things that drive people to work in museums and archives. Um, it's that, you know, these kind of cultural creative outputs are just so precious. Um, you know, we were talking about just how much Stanfast meant to us earlier and how, how um, just eye-opening it was to have a band like that from not only your home city, but like your own home high school. Um, and I want to preserve all that stuff because it's tremendously important to me and all of my friends. But I also want people to know that, like, you can do this. Like, I worry sometimes that kids now or young people now are like, there's just too much stuff available on the internet and that's just so convenient and immediate 
Um, you know, there has to be like a little bit of pressure. There has to be a little bit of boredom, <laughs> um, you know, to yeah. get you to go out of your house and start a band and, and to think things like, you know, mosh pits are cool um, or like a, you know, like a good way to blow off some, some steam. But yeah, I want to keep it all up there so that, that people know like, yes, we can do this. If we just get so fed up with life, uh, you know, in general, we can kind of like turn off the internet and start a band and get some friends together and, and, you know, have a venue or have a, have a show at a, at like a DIY venue. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's like, um, yeah, it's, it's, that really gets at the point of it, the heart of it, I think like, but it's, you know, um, it's, it's also, it's been really cool to just like take a step back and just sort of like see how much has gone on in Rochester, like over the years and like how many creative people we have that are doing like really cool stuff. And it's like, there's like, I, I feel like, yeah, there's like sort of like, you know, like the Rochester, like hardcore sound a little bit, which is like probably like stems from like Stanfast. Um, but like, it, it is also like, it's really like astounding to like step back and like, um, you know, think about how like through this like DIY network, we could like make all this, these things happen. And like all the cool bands that came through, like I was, I have like a stack of CDs like out, outside my office here. And I'm like looking through them every now and then I'm like, holy shit, I totally forgot about this band. Like, like, there was this band party of helicopters that played at like St. Joe's, which was oh, like yeah. so rad. And it was like, I forget that whole show in its entirety, but like, I can remember like, like looking at the CD and being like watching them play. And like, I mean, those shows were wild. Like St. Joe's was such a cool thing. Like that was like, I think another like jumping off point as like a kid where like we would go down there and like, I never went down to Rochester as a kid. Cause like my parents just never did it. So I didn't like understand Rochester at all and it's like now it's like you know like south ave is like it's it's like basic rochester like 101 like you there's all the restaurants there's like you know needle drop is there analog shock used to be there and like i just like regret not going there more like i think i only went there like once or twice for a show and i was just like you know i remember like pawing through the records and being like, there's like so many amazing records here and this is like it was like hardcore it was like indie like it was like all deep stuff and um like, but like, I just, I remember like how cool it felt to go down to like, like St. Joe's. And I remember like walking to like uh, one of the corner stores next door to get like an, like a Arizona iced tea. And this like woman was having a like, uh, like fit outside. And I was like super scared by it. Cause I was like this little twerpy, like suburbanite kid. And like, I just didn't understand like, you know, I didn't understand that. So it felt like real edgy to be there. And like, now it's like, I mean, that's just like running the mill now, you know, it's, but um, yeah, those shows were like super, super cool and formative for like my youth and like, oh my God. I remember like when we got asked to play our first show there, we were like totally geeking. We're like, yeah, cool. We're like, we must be like accepted. This is awesome. And like, yeah, it was, it was a blast. Good times. There's a new local kind of punk adjacent band, Agitated Earth, that came out of um, that girls rock camp. And while their sound isn't like exactly my my style, I like love what they're all about because it kind of has a their band has like a similar energy that I remember from some of the younger bands that would like play at the teen center. And I could just see like 20 years ago, if that band was around, they would probably fit right in perfectly at the teen center. Um, yeah. You know, and just in general, like it made me aware, like, oh, shit, there's like 
at one point in time, like when, when you were in high school or, or when I was in high school, there'd be like 10 hardcore bands in Rochester that made up of all of high school kids from around. And it doesn't yeah. seem like there's quite as many, uh, uh, you know, like hardcore punk or, or, or such bands uh, with hardcore or with uh, high school kids. Although it does seem like Rochester has a pretty thriving metal scene right now. I think probably because of that yeah. band on death. Um, yep. And maybe the, those, those bands are kind of snatching up all the ringers who are really good at guitar. You know, the, 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 the 2022 version of uh, Kenton Parker or whoever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The undeath is awesome. I mean, that band is like, it's so crazy too. Cause like uh, the drummer in that band, like he plays in like a couple other, like more like indie rock bands. So like when they were getting big, I was just like, wait, this, like this dude that I saw, like play, like, like, like more like melodic, like, uh, like noodly guitar parts is like, a shredder on drums and he's just like i was like it's so rad like because like i don't really like play metal and like i i am not like i'm a guitar player like i started playing guitar when i was like 12 and like i never truly aspired to like shred and so like you know i like i i came to grips pretty quick with the fact that like i'm not going to be like flying around i'm um a guitar but like i still like love like metal and stuff like that like i would when we were in high school i like hung around with like the warblade guys quite a bit and like the weldons and um like i remember just like getting into like a lot of like metal core with them and uh you know it's like i still like i still like will totally rock like metal albums and stuff i have like stoner metal records and like i i, I think i snagged like a um uh St. Vitus record from a buddy, like, which I, I think, Greg, did you post a picture on the, um, yeah, where um, it was like St. Vitus and Black Flag? And it's yeah. like, what a weird lineup. A mixed, uh, a mixed bill there. Um, yeah. But, you know, it kind of, it kind of reminded me recently, like Terror came through town with, I don't know who it was. I didn't get a chance to go to, but like a metal band. And uh, it seems like, I don't know, I feel like the pandemic probably, changed things and made it made a mixed bill like that a, a more commercially viable uh type of show um yeah but yeah yeah that, that was that's a wild flyer that's that's my holy grail too i've always wanted that right. black flag flyer from when they played rochester ever since i read get in the van so yeah super super excited that that finally made its way to me through the ether so cool yeah and that's like it's so funny because like you think about like it was like 1985 or whatever and you're like, what a weird bill with like St. Vitus and Black Flag. But then you actually like, I think you look at the records that just came out from both of those bands and it like totally makes sense. I think they were both on like SST at that point. And it's like, it was, yeah, that was super rad. I wish I could have seen that one. That would have been like, like super duper. Um, just like one of those, one for the books, I think. But I think like, you know, like the notion of like mixed bills today, I think a lot of it like kind of has to do with like Spotify and like this easier ability to like dig into like anything you want. Like it's it's like I remember like when I was in college, like I the drummer of the Hue of Two, Justin Staller, like he would tell me all this crazy shit about these cool bands that he like saw. And I was like, well, I wish I got to see like cool bands when I was in high school. And it's like, well, I did. It was just like different scenes. And like um it's sort of like uh like now you can just plug in a name on your computer and get like uh, any like artists. And it's like the, the sort of like digging into it or like the crate digging or like the exploratory nature, it's, it's still there, but it's a little different. It's like you have everything at your fingertips. So like, I think 
you know, because of that, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't mind streaming that much. Like, I'm not going to be like um, a stickler. Like, I know that they suck at paying, but I also know that like in some of my bands, like we got a lot of stuff that came our way, like through Spotify, like cops did really cool stuff because of Spotify. Um, so well, like, I don't I, know. You guys Catch have gotten a lot of fans through like TikTok and, and like Instagram and TikTok, like dancing challenges too, haven't you? Yeah, it, that's like weirder. Like I, I see, we're like, it's funny cause like I'm the oldest person in that band. And like, I think the youngest person is like 32. So like, we're kind of like past the like TikTok age. So like, we're all like mystified by this. And we're just like, what are, like, we gotta like get in on this. Like we gotta like make sure that like people know that this is us. Cause so many people were using one of the songs and they were just like, uh, like, on, they weren't crediting it to us. And so we were like, oh shit, this could be our moment. Like, cause some, some people have like blown up on TikTok and like gotten, you know, huge lucrative record deals or whatever, or at least like, um, you know, people can get access to their music and like hear it and, and be known for it. Yeah, like, so I, I just think with like Spotify, we get into this moment where like, you know, um, like you listen to a record station it's totally like curated and it's like one sound it's like pop it's rock it's like you know um alternative and like i think what's kind of brilliant about something like spotify is that it's you can listen to like so many different things and it's like it's not like handed to you with like this sort of like pre like like this pre-made like notion like you're, the picture isn't painted for you yet you get to like just basically listen and, and and like take it in and you can jump from stuff like uh you know like i'm thinking like olivia rodrigo who's like you know pop superstar right now and then you can literally go and listen to like a metal album like you could listen to megadeth and then like after that you could go and listen to like whatever and it's like you can make a playlist of all this stuff and just kind of like rattle through it and so it's like you have like just an, an, an enormous wealth of like all of music's like history, like right there, if you want to look for it, which I just, I think is super cool. Like, I wish that there was a better way to like do the like payout, but like, I don't know, like in a way, like musicians have kind of always been fucked over by like record labels and like, like it's it just like the people who are doing the writing are not like, you know, the ones who are going to be making like, the huge sums of money unless they're like wildly wildly like popular like you know like like Kendrick Lamar or like you know Bob Dylan or like Bruce Springsteen or something like that like you know it's it's uh it, the, the industry is just like really weird and like it's just lopsided as to what well, goes it's, on and, it's, it seems like the strategy is you want to get successful and famous on like Spotify so that then you can sell limited edition merch and make real money or something like that yeah i mean i i guess i i don't like know i've never like made money like i kind of like like i i would say like you know cops is like the most successful band i've been in like i was in joyway before that and like i was you know playing guitar or bass or keyboards or whatever in joywave up until like 2013 and then they got signed to their label deal and uh at that point i just kind of was like well i have this career like i don't know um i don't know what to do like i, I still have this dilemma where i'm like do I choose like a music career? Do I choose like my career career or like what? And it, you know, quite frankly, I haven't had to choose ever. And I, I, I like that a lot and I want to keep it that way. Um, and I've been really lucky that like, I've been able to go on like month long tours 
uh, take off of work to like, you know, um, to do that. And my jobs have all been cool with it. And I think, you know, with the pandemic now, it's like easier, like it's sort yeah. of like changed things that we can work from home. And like, you know, my job is very hands-on, but like only for like a month at a time. And other than that, it's like, I can be like, I can work from home all I want. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like, I don't know, to get, to, to get back to the point of like how you, you do it, quote unquote, uh, I, I feel like you gotta like be like a road dog. You gotta like go out there and just be on tour and get your music in front of people and give them an experience and like, you know, and the experience doesn't have to be like super showy as long as you just like, like I, I see bands all the time that like, they're not just standing there and they're not like, you know, putting on like a theater show, but it's like, they're putting on a fucking show and it's awesome. And it's like energizing and like super rad. And it's like, I think in a way it's like, you can go about it and like, try and like follow a, like a set of rules. Like, yes. Okay. So like, I need to be on Instagram and I need to like engage people and I need to like hashtag, or I need to like, make sure that I'm like putting stuff on like SoundCloud or Spotify. And like, I need to go do this and I need to go like get a manager and blah, 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 blah. But like, I also think that there's something to it where it's like, if it is just good enough, like it will take off and it will like, you know, like, like, I don't think that like some of the most successful bands like that are going right now, like ever were like, maybe they were like, yeah, we're going to work really hard. But I, and it's not to say that it's just like an overnight success for some of them. Um, but I think like some of the best bands have been kind of caught off guard where they're like, whoa, yeah, well, I think we got something here. And it's like, yeah. they do. And like, everyone knows it. It's like easy to tell. That's my, that's my preferred like success story where it's like a group of friends who are humble and just making music for themselves kind of fall backwards into the success. Um, I, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but we've, we've been talking about like uh, mixed, mixed lineups, mixed bills. Uh, we've been talking about bands putting on great performances and that being kind of your hook into success. And it reminds me of a show, Josh, that I think you booked at the Bug Jar. It might have only been like three bands. It was Borderline Opening and Fat Day Headlining. Oh, yeah. That was, was like, fucking fun. Like, I that, yeah. did I play one of those shows, Travis? Yeah, I was like trying to remember. I was like, I feel like we played that show, but like, I wasn't sure. Fat Day. And I know like. Hilka. Yeah. It would have been Hilka, Joe. That's another Joe Tunis connection. Yeah. They played one yeah. of those shows that day, too. So I, I, I want to say like, it was like, maybe like us and like, I, I thought maybe you had building on fire on that too. So because I, that was one of those times where I booked a double header at the bug jar and I booked an all ages show during the day. And then like a 21 and over show at night, the night okay. one definitely had Hilka and yep. uh stepsister, which was Tony Erba from like nine shocks, terror and face value and a bunch of old bands. But it was more of like, okay. like a stoner rock, like rock and roll band that he was doing. I can't yeah. remember what the daytime lineup was. Obviously you guys played, but I, I don't know yeah. what else played though. I think it was building on fire? on fire. Yeah. I think it was building on fire. Um, yeah. So that like, like, I think I can't remember that because it was like, like fat day is like just something else. Like those guys are nuts and it's so awesome. Like, and I, I think they, I feel like they, I heard like stories of like when they would play Rochester, like the first time they played, they had like a pie fight or something. And like, yeah, like when that show came up, like everyone's like, no, no, no. But you like gotta go see like Fat Day because they're like, they were nuts. They had these like Viking helmets and they took like probably like three hours to tune them up and they like had like ring modulators in them. And like, they told this story of like a, 
like some sort of like dragon and like oh my god what a fun that was it like was like a massive show. prop worm that you weren't supposed to touch but like yeah. it was it was there it was like half definitely right up your alley rit i think like those guys probably had to have had like electrical engineering degrees and then half yeah. half that half guar yeah yeah that was they were so fun i like i bought a record that day and i still have it and like it, I, I'll, I'll pop it on every now and then and take a trip down memory lane it's awesome yeah that, that was a fun one for sure and i was like i was like i feel like we played that but i yeah so i'm, I'm glad that you brought that one up some of my records yeah, are definitely MIA, but that those Fat Day records are definitely still on the shelf. So I haven't I haven't parted ways on any of those ones. Um, yeah, they're like they're cool and they're weird and they're like punky and like they they're like one of those bands that's like really cool to like uh like they can snatch like people from different like uh genres and stuff. Yeah, we didn't it's know what to cool. think of them. We 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 got like their first or second seven inch, like long, like 95, 96, and we didn't know what the fuck to think of them. And then when we booked them, we were like still didn't know what to think of them. Yeah. Um, but I guess now we're kind of on the topic. Um you, you Greg kind of brought this back up, and I and I I didn't want to gloss over. I know we're like I said in the beginning, we're kind of doing this interview a little bit differently, and I think you're doing a good job of kind of touching on, on all the bands you've been in as we talk about it, but I don't want to miss if there's any memorable shows that we're missing from we so far we i feel like we've talked about borderline and you have two a little bit are there any memorable shows that those bands played aside from obviously the fat day show um before we kind of start talking about your other projects yeah i've got a really good incriminating um hue of two story like i mean that band was like so fun it was uh i mean it was like i, I like i have a tattoo for that band like i like it was a weird time in my life where I was like in a really toxic, bad relationship. And it like, wasn't, wasn't anyone's fault. I was just like, I was like 18 or something. And like, like my girlfriend at the time was like very, very depressed. And we, we like, I had no idea how to handle it. And like, I think just like mental health wasn't something anyone talked about. And it was, it was rough, but like, we, we definitely had that like thing where like, she would be like, you don't care about me. You only care about your band. Um, but like, yeah, I would, we would go on tours and stuff. And like, I would be stuck on the phone with like, um, you know, this poor girl, like being like, I, I need you to come home right now. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that. I'm like in a van, like in the middle of like Ohio, like I, I can't. Um, and like all those guys will kind of like rid me for that too. They're like, oh yeah. I remember when you were on the phone with your ex-girlfriend all the time. And I was like, yeah, thanks. But um yeah, so they're they're like there's like so many cool memories. Like we opened for the Walkmen in Ithaca, which was like the biggest show I had played by the time like that time, and it was like 500 people. I remember walking out on stage and like almost shitting myself, and I was just like, I played the first three songs like with my back to the crowd, just shaking. Which like now that doesn't bother me. Like I totally have like no stage fright. Um, there's also another really good like intersecting story where it were like we played with like the hoodies, so the hoodies turned into Joywave. And like at the time we were like, yeah, this band's like kind of like not that cool, but like, yeah, we'll play this show. Cause like, it's fun to like play shows and like, why not different crowd? They might dig us. We played at like the club at water street and like, like, so water street is like weird. Cause you can get to the other side and not with like very much trying. So it's like basically doors with like velvet ropes, like put up between like the, or like in front of the doors. So like we were like such little assholes at this show. Like it was, it was like, it's funny, but it's like, also like, we were like totally being like, like dickheads. So like Holly started to write on like all of the images. Cause there was like, if, like back in the day, they had like all the images of all the people who had played there. So there was like, like 
picture of like Ted Nugent and Holly wrote like go veg on it with like a permanent marker. And like, it was like right next to our merch table. And like, you know, like the, the venue was like, what the fuck is this? Like, who did this? Did you guys do this? And we're like, what are you talking about? It looks like a Ted Nugent signature, but she had written on like three or four of these images. And like, I, I hate to incriminate Holly on this. Cause like, um, but I think it's like far enough in the past. It's like not a big deal. Like, it's like, it's, I think we can all laugh about it. Um, and then like, at one point, like, I don't know why she did this, but she grabbed like the velvet rope from the door and like shoved it in her like suitcase. And so like, at this point, like the venue, like people were just like, all right, what the hell's going on here? Where's the velvet rope? Who's writing on the pictures? And they're just like grilling us. And it's like, I'm like, the, the guy's like, all right, if you didn't take the thing, like, let me look in your suitcase. And Holly's like, I could just see her wheels turning. And she's like, shit, like he's on to me. And he, she's like, starts like ad living like so hard and it's so funny and she's like like she's like you want to look inside my case you want to look inside my stuff what that's perverse these are just my panties this is my bra you want to go looking through there and like it was in the bottom of one of those suitcases and she like specifically like pulled her like gear board like over the suitcase with the like velvet rope and like she was like see there's nothing in here and the guy was just like all right fine fine you can go so we get back in the van and I think it's like, it's like me, Holly, Justin, and Dan. And Dan's just like, can you believe anyone would, what, who would steal a velvet rope? And like Justin and I knew, and the three of us looked at each other and just like died in laughter. And we're like, yeah, it, it was us. We actually did that. And like, it, it's like so funny. Cause then like years later, I would be in a band with like all the Joe Wave guys and like the hoodies crew. And like, yeah, we were just being like total shitheads. That was, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that's 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 probably a good good UFT story to to talk about. Um, and then, I mean, I, yeah, it's like it's so weird. I've like thought I've I've thought back about like all of the things that like like I want to write like some sort of like weird memoir or something about like all the time I've had in bands, like starting from like high school up until uh, like now. And like, you know, we, we did a like weekend tour. I was in a band called Women, which is not to be confused with the band from uh, like, they were from Vancouver uh, and they, they got like really big. They were cool. They were like a really like angular, like indie rock band. And uh, we weren't them, uh, but we were, we were pretty cool. I think for what we were, we were just like this like little, little bunch of like indie rock kids, like playing like, like weird music for our age and we managed to do like a like week tour when like everyone else in the band was in like 11th grade and I was like first year in college and like we just we booked this stuff through like DIY stuff it was so crazy like again like hat tip to like Josh you and, and like John 25 guys like that like that whole DIY thing is like just who do you meet whenever you're anywhere and like hitting up like all of these different things and like getting connected to people and like, I, like message boards were so big back in the day. I remember we booked like a bunch of our tours through like Viva La Vinyl, um, a message board about like vinyl reissues and maybe not reissues, they weren't really a thing around then. Um, but just like a place where you could trade records or sell records to people. Um, that was a big one. I think we also like the gig posters message board was like really big because um, Dan was like super, like he made like, I mean, he still makes amazing artwork and he, makes these posters for like all these crazy things. Like he does them for like movies now, but he'll do, he'll do them for fish and like, uh, like really huge, huge things. And like, so he was just like on this, this gig posters thing, posting 
his posters, but then getting a show is due. Like I, we played, we played another show in like Ohio. It was in Toledo. This is a funny story. And like the, the girl who booked it was like 15 and she was like, okay, so like, here's the deal. I'm going to tell my mom that you guys went to camp with me this summer. And that's how I know you so that you can stay at my house. And I definitely did not meet you on a message board and you're not weirdo, like scruffy, like, like hoodlums or whatever. And like, so we like show her parents, like we show up at her parents' door. And like, if you, if you've seen Justin, he's just like a really tall guy, like kind of receding hairline, like he had a full beard and like, dude looked like he was like you know yeah it's like we we weren't fooling anybody and like we go to her door her parents were so sweet to us they like made us like pancakes in the morning but they like they were like all right like holly you have to sleep with her and like the guys you get to sleep down in the basement and like yeah it was it was, it was pretty funny it was a good time oh fuck a memoir you got to put these stories in like treatment or whatever they call that shit in hollywood or whatever man some of these stories <laughs> could be in like movies or whatever man these are these are some gems that's a whole movie yeah. right there. That's like a good, that's a good, you have to like pretend you went to like a religious camp or something. You have to quickly yeah. like read the Wikipedia article for like a religion you're not very familiar with. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. We, we did some like, we did some fun stuff. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, that was like another band too, where like we were about to like, I think kind of like get big as it were. Um, like we, we were like, we went to a studio in New Jersey called Gradwell House, which was like so amazing. The engineers, it was this dude, um, I can't remember his name, but he was in that band, Up, Up, Down, Down, BA, BA, Left, Right, Start, which was like just a little recording project. Steve Pompini, that was his name. And like, oh man, he like grilled me so hard. I was like singing in one of, the, one of my lines for our songs and he like stopped and pressed pause. And he was like, uh, okay, dude, so do you have like an emote English dictionary? Cause I have no fucking clue what you were just trying to say. And I was just like, <laughs> like, I was like, dude, we're paying you to record us. Don't be an asshole. But um, yeah, like, so we, we finished that album and it's like, it's, it's the one that's like up on, on uh, the, the page, the Rochester hardcore history page. And uh, like, we were, we were in like talks with like some label, they were going to like press it. I don't, I don't remember who it was, but we were like super stoked. And then like, everybody graduated and moved away. Like I think Holly moved to Buffalo. And so we were like, well, all right, that's, that's enough. Um, yeah. There's a, there's another like really infamous show that we played at this place called the tower in Ohio. And it was like, I don't remember where in Ohio, but it was like, like an industrial building. And like, we walked in and we're like, okay, so this is cool. Like these people live here, but it's also like a community art space. And, uh, like there's actually a really um, scandalous picture of me from like that night. So we, we went on tour with this band called The Killing Gift. So this is like sort of like this crazy thing where like things start to intertwine. So The Killing Gift was just this like emo-y band from New Jersey, but the drummer and guitar player went on to be in um, Gaslight Anthem, who would oh. go on tour with like Toy Bear Club. And then Jimmy, I think when Jimmy was in uh, doing Wax Bottles, I think like Benny, their drummer was like playing drums for, for that band, Wax Bottles or something like that. Or Jimmy, Jimmy knows him very well. And uh, so like the singer of that band is like sitting on my lap and I'm like in a wheelchair, like just dicking around. And like 
the he of two guys took a picture of it and they were like i was like you have to delete that if my girlfriend sees that like she's gonna kill me even though it was like harmless bond but like i was like petrified because i was like you know i was like 19 i didn't like know how relationships really worked but uh this show was like so fucking bonkers like this dude who is listed on the bill is called lightning fingers and no joke he showed up with a guitar with no strings on it in a boom box in like three bags of cheetos and he like he's like all right guys so this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna play you a mixtape that i made today this morning of all my favorite songs and he just literally ran around this like whole venue like playing air guitar and screaming along to this like tape of obscure punk music and like at one point he like opened these bags of cheetos and they're just like all around like the whole thing like the venue and then like this girl like walks into the bathroom and like two seconds later this guy just like opens the door and like walks in there and i'm just like what is he doing like that is not cool and there's like a little shower in this bathroom so he gets in there and like turns it on and it was just like yeah it was like uh, so like wacky and we we're like i don't know how we're gonna follow that up but like we gotta that was that was a good time that was another like those was, was probably like some of the best like q of two memories it's fun you know somebody i forget i think his name's sean this dude when i did the bad business episode he was like you should do a hue of two episode too and i was like well i'm interviewing travis soon oh yeah now that you're telling me these stories like man there could be something to that because there's some some pretty wild uh stories mixed in there by the sounds of it so yeah yeah oh so i got another like weird thing that i just wanted to mention that was like uh like another like intersecting worlds so uh joywave's manager is this guy ben matisau and he managed cops for like a minute and when cops was on tour with um joywave in like 2018 we played at the roxy in la which is like a pretty big venue uh that show was fucking bonkers because before we were like loading in like our drummer his like backpack got stolen and he was like had a meltdown and he was like, I don't think we're going to be able to play the show. And like, it was, we were, it was, we were on a label at this point. We were on the same label as Joywave, and like all the executives were there. And like, we were like, fuck, we got to get this together. And he's like, we just like got to get, we got to get his like head up. We got to get him like to feel okay. And we got to get him to play the set. Like luckily his computer would like the set didn't get stolen or anything, but then like, <clears throat> so we're playing and like Ben, like, took a video of us and put it on Instagram. And so this other dude, Justice from Trapped Under Ice and Angel Dust is like <clears throat> watching his like screen. And he's like, yo, who the fuck is that dude going bonkers on guitar in your video? And like, Ben's like, oh, that's like, that's my buddy Trav. Like he's in one of the bands I work with. And so um, Ben manages Angel Dust. And when they were here a couple months ago, I like went up to Justice and I was like, yo, you might not remember this, but like Ben had this video and you like commented on it. And that, that was me in the video. And he was like, oh, cool. And then he was like, yo, come here and like took a picture and sent it to Ben. <clears throat> that was a lot of fun. After that show too, we were like, we went next door to like some bar. It might've been like the Rainbow Room or something. Um, and like Ron Jeremy is there. And like, also we walked in the front door and I saw like Ian Andrews, who's a bartender at Bug Jar. And I knew he was doing like a, cross-country trip but we were like I didn't know I would run into him and I was like that's fucking crazy so there's Ian and then this guy Ryan who used to drive me around in like one of my old bands that I was in called Claire Danes which is like a pop punk band with like so many people like Adam Vernick was in that and like Trevor Ames Smith 
And uh, so like those two dudes were there and then Ron Jeremy's there, just like a total hot mess, like just falling all over the place with like stained sweatpants and like he's falling on his face. Crazy. That's really crazy. I, I was just listening to a podcast interview, not with Ron Jeremy, obviously with uh, Justice from uh, Trapped Under Ice. And he seems like, I've never met him before, but he seems like a cool dude. Yeah. Um, so it's funny you have that story uh, with that. Um, I, I Like I said, we're kind of going over, you sent me a list of bands and, and, and just by hearing you talk about it, I know like, like Adam, uh, speaking of Claire Danes, I know like Adam, you have like probably 50 other bands that we're not going to talk about tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one other band that we haven't really talked about too much yet that you mentioned in the list that I'm not really as familiar with is uh, Science versus Witchcraft. Yeah, so that was like a band that I was in from about 2006 to like 2008 or nine. And that was like, um, that was like really angular, weird, um, like math rocky type stuff, but it was like very, very bizarre and like dark. Um, it definitely had some like heavier elements to it. <clears throat> and so that was like, <clears throat> It was like pretty like art rocky and like um you know i mentioned av space so like we were like very much in that like sort of crew like um like cameron farish who does a lot of like noise stuff and visual art stuff he was also a curator at the av space um like yeah so that band was like just like real crazy i think like my friend steven and i were djing at the bug jar and we like he said he went to this house party and met this guy who was playing all these like Joan of Arc and like Radiohead songs. And he was like, we should get him to play guitar in our band. Um, but yeah, we, we actually played a reunion show with uh, the Hue of Two. Maybe, no, we were still, we were still a band at that point. And it was like this show at AD Space because Justin and Dan from the Hue of Two had an art show. And then we decided to do a, a reunion show of science. We, we just decided to play as science because they, they knew us and liked us. Um, all the other people in the band but like a, another like a really weird notable show that we played was like in 2008 I think or nine or something like that like Erebon Radar got back together and did like a tour and like Erebon Radar is like one of those bands that like I really liked because I was like this is so fucking weird and like just bizarre and like it's like so just like nuts and uh like so I, they were they were like coming through and I think my friend Tim Avery which is another person to like talk about in Rochester who's like done so much for like every scene and like the guy would give you the shirt off his back he's a really good yeah. friend of mine um but he was like looking at bug jar so like I had like insider knowledge of all the shows that were coming up and he told me how um Arab on Radar was like coming through and I was like dude you like hold on, I got to like talk to the science versus witchcraft guys and see if we can do like a reunion to, like show. And so it was like basically like two reunions in one night we opened for them and it was like totally wild. Like th those guys are like in other bands too, like uh, Doomsday Student and like um, they were in this band called Chinese Stars, which is like a big like influence on science versus witchcraft. But like that's another one of those like weird like Rhode Island like noise bands. Um, yeah, that was like, that was uh that was a lot of fun yeah we, we did some like cool stuff with science versus witchcraft we like played in buffalo this band called aids wolf which was also kind of like arab on radar that was a lot of fun like i feel like we didn't really like get out there as much we played syracuse a couple times and i think like we uh we played the the um spark art space and i feel so bad because like 
<clears throat> the guy we crashed with that night was this, uh, this super nice guy who was like running the shows. And like, we just, we must've been like terrorizing him all night. Cause we just like stayed up to like three in the morning, just being like really loud and like, not even like drunk or anything, but like, we were just like totally like, like laughing and giggling and just being like, like little jerks or something. And like the next day we were trying to find like Funkin' Waffles to like get some food because we before we headed back to Rochester. And I remember we like pulled up next to this like group of people on the side of the street and we're like, roll down our windows. We're like, hey, do you guys know where like Funkin' Waffles are? And like, they looked at us like we were aliens. Like they were like, they could not have known less what we were asking about. And I bet you they thought we were asking about like fucking waffles and we're like, yeah, so it was like it was like it was kind of funny. It was a good time. Yeah, like you were referencing Tammy Avery. He's definitely somebody I want to get on here at some point because, uh, in addition to like bridging the gap between, I feel like the era that I mainly talk about on this podcast, but between that era and like the later era, like he just did like so much shit for not just hardcore, obviously, but the the scene in general. You know, I mean, wasn't yeah, he involved with with Vineyard for a while too? Yeah, he was doing stuff there, and like yeah. that's like. So like, I don't know, I feel like, like everyone, like, like both of you too, like I had a period of time where like, I was like, probably like not checked out, but like, I just like, I mean, like the hardcore scene just kind of for a while, like seemed like it like disappeared a little bit. Like there were no more bands really playing. Like, I mean, Achilles was around, but like, uh, you know, there, and then there was like, there's like a couple, a couple bands that like, I don't really know about that. Josh, I know you like have been talking to a lot or promoting or booking. Um, but like, yeah, it was like, like, so like when all this stuff started to come back at like the vineyard, I was kind of like not really doing like hardcore stuff or like going to that, those sorts of shows that much anymore. Um, I, was, I was sort of like by that point doing more like indie rock stuff. But I remember like specifically while I was in college or like finishing it, like so around like 2006, seven, eight, like I feel like the hardcore like, in Rochester got like really punky and like all the Hilton kids started to like show up and have like really awesome, amazing bands. Like, so I remember going to see like the younger kids play and I was just like, man, there's some like really cool ideas going on out here. And like, I know Josh, you've been pretty stoked on like Leaking Head. Like that's totally like, that, that band's so cool. And like, uh, like, I feel like they just have like a really cool energy. I still haven't seen them live yet, but like, it's definitely like, it's it's a rad thing and uh yeah the singer's got good stage presence and it seems like there's a good um core group of bands in rochester where you know they, they they're sounding different enough that it's it's a mixed enough bag um but they're similar enough that it's you know we we can have like a solid lineup of all local bands play a, a hardcore show yeah for sure yeah like I, i'm definitely stoked to like check out like the the new like uh i don't know like crop of bands that are coming up like um yeah like i mean i play in pomelo now which is like very like hardcore adjacent it's like um totally like the chapel hill like uh chicago style like heavier like indie rock stuff like um i feel like we really sort of channel um like unwound and like piss jeans jesus lizard drive like jehu and again that's with like adam from like wolves like he and I have been trying to basically like put a band together since 2012. Um, we were like talking at the bug jar one night and I remember him being like, yo, like I really like, like, I don't know, drive like Jehu. And I was like, me too. That's like awesome shit. And like, we were just like talking about all these bands we both liked. 
And he's like, we should probably like play some music sometime. I've been like working with like Tommy Bulmer, who's like, you know, such an amazing drummer, good, good friend of mine. Um, like Tommy's been around forever. He's been in like, he was in a bunch of like hardcore bands and stuff. Uh, so he was playing drums and Adam asked me to play bass. And like, we recorded this like five song EP and Tommy was like, yeah, guys, this is like so awesome. I'm so stoked we're doing this. By the way, I'm also moving to Boston like in a month. So we're like, well, shit. So like he would, he would always like, like rib us and be like, yo, are you guys going to finish that album or what? And we're like, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to, but you, you moved to Boston, dude. Um, so like Adam and I just basically kept playing together. And then we put together another version of the band called Ribbons, where like I was playing bass and Adam was playing guitar. And then we got this other dude to play drums. And like, we were just about to like break out and we had like, probably like 10 songs set or something. And we had like, you know, we recorded like four or five songs. We were about to put out this thing. And then like all this like um, stuff started popping up about our drummer and like, like the sort of like cancel culture thing popped up. And, um, you know, we were like, oh, this really sucks. Like, let's get to the bottom of this and see what's up. Like, and we were talking to him and essentially like this dude got run out of town and we like kicked him out of the band. And so we're like, fuck, we're like, we're totally just like, we must be cursed because we can't like get this band together. And like, uh, so he and I kept like working around it and I started to play drums and that. And then uh, we found our bass player, this guy, Eric, who plays in another like punky band around town. It's like more of a math rock called False Pockets. And like the three of us have basically been doing that for like a couple of years now. We put out a full length during the pandemic and like, yeah, we played a show like the other night with like Jared, um, some of his buddies, the Black and Press, like um, that was that was super cool. And like one of their bands played, Jared wasn't in the band, but uh, yeah, like Jared's like such a cool dude running like Sort Ear and like just a total sweetheart and like super supportive of us. Um, but yeah, we like, that's like, we, we really like, we've done a couple like weekends. We played in like, uh, we played in like, uh, Pennsylvania like Allentown and then we played Baltimore so like we, we were trying to get out there a little bit but I think that's probably gonna like peter out a little just because Adam's about to have a baby and you know we don't know what the future is really going to be but it, it's a it's a lot of fun to play in that band for sure now you talking about things dying down and I know Greg and I have talked about this like several times because him and I kind of for lack of a better term checked out for a little while around the same time and I know a lot of other people did too but like I've always kind of kept like my finger on the pulse of hardcore and kept track of hardcore. And like, obviously I've been saying I'm, I'm going to start booking shows again. And I am with like Jared and where I'm going with this is I think you might be the best person to answer this question, Travis, because I was listening to an interview recently with someone I'm going to, I'm going to uh, have on the podcast uh, in a couple of months, uh, Jeremy Smith from Buffalo. He's been in like dead hearts and a million other bands, but he was saying on there on the interview I was listening to that, like guitar driven music is basically dead and it's like a niche thing now. And like, I started thinking about that and, and obviously I'll open this up to you afterwards. Cause I, and Greg too, if you want to chime in too, but I started thinking about it more and I was like, yo, it kind of makes sense, especially in an area like this, like our hardcore scene has been like, I, I wouldn't say dying. Like there's definitely like people my age and a little bit younger that still support Rochester hardcore, but it's like, there is no all ages scene here that I can see at all. Like maybe leaking head brings out different kids. Like maybe the punk scene does, but like, for the shit that we talk about on this podcast and like the scene that we built up in like the late nineties and early two thousands and like the other cities have had 
that kind of scene like i don't see it as much of a youth culture anymore like does that make sense or yeah it does um it's like it's weird because like in some ways i like i see like the younger kids like and they're doing really cool stuff it's just like different it's not like hardcore and like i i don't like i don't know like why that is um I, I, maybe it's just like because like some of the people who are like doing the heavy lifting in the scene like like i mean we all just kind of got preoccupied like i mean i feel like uh like when achilles was like really hitting it pretty hard like those dudes all like had to do other things. Like, I mean, Rory started Ugly Duck and, and you know, um, we're gonna, I think not to like place all the onus on like one person or whatever, but I mean, he's definitely like a huge voice that I think inspired a lot of people in Rochester. And, um, you know, a band like Achilles was, was really important. And, um, you know, like Josh, like actually Josh grew up down the street from me when I was like a kid in Fairport. And, you know, he lives like out on the other side of the country now, I believe. And like Chris Brown was doing Polar Bear Club. So like that, like, I feel like, like some of the people who were doing like a lot of the bands just sort of like got preoccupied and did other things. I mean, I was always playing music, but like um, not really doing like hardcore stuff, but like the notion of like guitar rock dying, like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's like, there's probably a lot to be said about like, um, computers and the ease of use with which you can make music and I think that like a lot of the younger kids that I have seen at shows and stuff are like like maybe becoming more producer type stuff like we played with this like crazy band so like cops we've never really played a basement show because we have like um we have like a thing where like it's it's so like heavy with uh backing samples we play to a click but we still play on top of it because like we can't have like five keyboard players we could but like i don't know that many people and like honestly like i'd, I'd rather play guitar than keyboards um just because i suck at keyboards but um so we played this show and like this young band was called 50 newts and it was like basically like a reference to that band like 100 gex and that's like hyper pop like real like like it's maybe not for me but like i respect it and it's like, it's just like totally like insane. And like, I think like kids these days, it's probably easier to like have your computer and like pirate a bunch of software and then tinker around with it. It's easier to do that than it is to like haul an amp up to a practice space and like get your friends like amped up on like, you know, like a riff that you wrote. I, I don't know. I like, it, it makes me sad. Cause I'm like, man, I like, yeah, I fucking love like guitars and I love guitar based music. Um, but like, yeah, even like when I was in Joywave, I feel like Dan and I would have conversations about this all the time about how like, like nobody cares about guitars anymore. Um, you know, it's, I don't know like what that's about because I still think that there's not everything that can be said has been said about like guitar music, but, um, yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be like the rising costs, like to get like a Gibson guitar these days is like so expensive and like. You know, a lot of the features they reintroduced or like you know, introduced over the last couple of years have just like not been popular. But like, I think I don't think it's ever going to go away. And I think I was reading some article the other day where like over the pandemic, like music from like the 70s and 80s, like skyrocketed and like plays and like, yeah, 80s, you get into like the synthesizer stuff and maybe a little bit in the 70s. But like, I think like people still want to hear that. And I think that like, you know, um, 
yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what exactly is like behind it all. I, there's probably like in 20 years, we can probably have a like more zoomed out, better look. Um, I definitely am bummed out. Like I am not like, I wish I was better at computer stuff. I'm just not good at it. Like I am the type of person where like, I'm not going to program a beat. I'm going to like go up to my practice space with a click track and I'm going to like record that beat. And then I'm going to like go in and like do everything like, you know, like with a guitar after maybe I'll put down some like keyboards, but like, um, I just like, I'm not good at like the whole like computer programmer thing. Like it's, it's, it's not where I excel as a musician. Yeah, I, I, I've kind of, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that and that you mentioned that that kind of came from Jeremy cause he's, uh, that's, that's who you said it came from Josh, right? Yeah. He, he's definitely someone who I feel like is in the know. Um, and I guess I kind of touched upon it earlier when I mentioned there's that, that punk uh, adjacent band agitated earth and how, um, you know, they, they kind of have something going that reminds me of uh, some of the bands from when I was uh, younger, but they're just, it does not seem like we have a, a great abundance of, of high school aged, uh, college aged, um, you know, uh, people doing hardcore bands in Rochester. I know there are some in uh, some of the other cities, um, you know, the East and West here, and, and there's a, a few, you know, pretty notable ones. Uh, but I, I don't know, I, I guess the thing that I come back to is that, uh, you know, it just seems so easy now to just kill time on the internet or stream something. And, and that probably takes up, you know, people just choose to do that instead of go out and do something in real life. Um, I, I also get the sense too, that with like Spotify, I know it's changed the way I consume new music. And so I just like, will like just tear through an album, like it's nothing. Whereas yeah. like 20, 25 years ago, I would be like, well, this album cost me 20 bucks to buy. So I'm going to listen to it a bunch, even if it's like not that great. And, um, you know, I meet people who are just like getting into like a new subgenre of hardcore or they're just getting into like hardcore in general. And they'll like tear through the classic Revelation Records catalog and be like, all right, I'll give you more. And it's like, yeah, it took mm -hmm. like 20 years to make all that music. Like, yeah, you know, like you can consume it now way faster than people can make it. Uh, lastly, I guess, you know, and I think you're right. Making electronic music is if you're just a single musician and, and um, you know, you want to hone your craft, that's definitely the way to do it because you can simulate so many different instruments and, and just have so many different options without having to buy new equipment or make new friends who know how to play that equipment. Um, I, I feel kind of threatened by it all though. <laughs> um, honestly, because to me, I'm not like, I'm interested in all kinds of music. Um, and I find I listen to music that I would have thought was like totally lame just to relax now, like vaporwave and stuff. Um, oh, yeah. But if there's not like a community of people in real life organizing around that genre of music, to me, it's not really fully an authentic genre of music. Like there has to be a community of people who orient their life around the music uh, to sustain it yeah. or even just to participate in it. And I, I don't, I mean, you see that to some degree with uh, uh, electronic music, but mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think like the more extreme uh, varieties of guitar driven music kind of do it the best, like punk, hardcore and metal. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like the more traditional guitar music, like jazz and blues and, and just straight up rock, of course, have that as well. But I don't know. I, I think of all the kinds of music, we, we really have something special with hardcore and punk. Yeah, well, for sure. Now, for sure. when I noticed it more, and this is before Jeremy, I even listened to the Jeremy interview, was 
and Travis, you might know more about these kinds of bands or musicians, whatever you want to call them than I do. But like my girlfriend and I, before we had kids, we would look at lineups for like Coachella, Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza, just to maybe one day go to one of those festivals, you know, but we started looking at, it, we're like, yo, who the fuck are these acts? You know what I mean? Like, are they, <laughs> Yeah. that's what yeah. I'm wondering. Like, are those acts like, like they're not, are they guitar driven acts? Or are they a lot of like, like techno-y type acts or like, like weird pop? Like, I don't even know who, who these acts are. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would have to like, look at a, at a bill, but like, you know, I try to like, um, I, I like, I, I love music and I consume all kinds. Like, I have a buddy who lives in Portland right now who used to live in Rochester. Um, and we like became really tight with, uh, by way of a friend of mine, Corey, who uh, he passed away. He ran a, a tape label called Cezura. And it was like all a lot of like art music. And Corey's actually like, he was like my older brother. Someone like, uh, I'm glad I'm getting to, to shout, shout him out a little bit. Cause uh, he was super important to me. Turned me on to like all kinds of crazy music and like uh, a lot of like, the music I, I really love like comes from him, but it's like, I, I think like, <clears throat> like there's so much music that's like out there and like, there's like this electronic thing going on. I don't think that like guitar based music is ever going to go away. I think there's always going to be a market for it. I think it's just going to like ebb and flow. Um, but it's like, you know, a lot of stuff that like we always talk about is all guitar based, but it's like, it's, it's different. Um, I'm thinking about like bands that like I, I've seen over the last couple of years who I, I thought like did a really good job kind of like blending like um like like uh keyboard based music or like electronic producery stuff and like make it kind of rocky. There's this band like Porches that has been around for like a couple of years. He just put out an album that's like all like basically electronically produced music and it's like great like poppy stuff. Um but like I've been seeing videos of him playing live and it's all like full band. And it's like, that's like super cool. You know, I love it when like people do that. And that's like, you know, <clears throat> like with cops, when you listen to cops on like Spotify or you listen to our album, it's like all electronic. But then like when we play live, it's like, I bring like the guitar parts to it and like make it like more like, it's like, I think it's a different, it's a different animal. And um, I, I think there's something cool about that. Uh, it's not to say that there's like, um, it's, it's like there's a scene in Rochester now still, but it's like more disparate, I guess. It's like, it's all over the place. It's like, and there, there's young kids, there's older kids. Um, it really, it like, it, it spans. It's, it's you know, like I, I think about like all the dudes who like Joe Tunis knows, like in all the Carbon Records crew and like the sort of like experimental music like that and like the hardcore dudes and like, um, you know the younger bands that are like coming out now like it's so you mentioned like agitated earth like and that that coming out of like girls rock is like such a fucking cool thing like i mean what an amazing like thing i remember going to like one of the first like um like showcases of all those bands and i was like tearing up because i was like this is so awesome that like people are taking time out of their days to like make this a thing and to like get like young girls super excited about like music and punk and like, you know, I was like, man, I wish I had that when I was a kid, like, like rock camp for like, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but I think like um, to that point too, like what we see, what we see now is like, I see so many more like women getting involved in like music and like being like voices in, in the scene and like, um, 
you know, it's it's not so much of a boys club as it used to be per, per se, not not in like a, a bad way. I don't know. Uh, I've noticed but, hardcore over like the last 10 years has there have been like way more bands that are fronted by women. And um, yeah, I don't know, I think it's valuable cool. to have kind of that additional perspective because it is, you know, it is very much just kind of a men's thing. This yeah, is, totally. I agree. This is episode this is episode 79 of the podcast. And I've had two two women on and neither one of them were on like their own episode either. And that's obviously not because I have a, an issue with women. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you're, you you referenced it yourself, Travis, and you kind of touched on it too, Greg, like the era that I've primarily interviewed people from on this podcast, <clears throat> especially in Rochester, there weren't really any women in bands. Like there was some women from the, from our scene that I definitely want to get on here and talk about if they're interested, like their perspective on the scene then, but they're like, I can think of like five or 10 bands that had women in them, like in hardcore in yeah. general in the late nineties. Yep. Like now definitely there's, there's tons, there's tons of bands that I love that have women in like scowl and, I could I could list a million of them, you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. Um I, and, I feel and, like yeah. there's like there's like a thing I remember on like one of the message boards was like some photographer from RIT, she wanted to put together a photo book and was gonna call it boys with their mouths open. <laughs> it was like yeah, yeah. Lauren, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. So it's like, and I I just like I think about that like. You know, I mean, that's like you look at all the like old pictures of like shows, and you're like, that's exactly what the hell that is. It's it's cool, but like, yeah, it's it's definitely cool to have like new perspectives um, and like new ideas and new voices like be there, and not that they're like new voices, but like you know, just it's cool that it's like less of a boys club. Uh, you know, it's like I'm I'm all about it. Like I I want to I want to hear about everyone's life and their experiences, and you know, celebrate the the wins. You know, I think I, I got two kids now. My daughter's turning one this year and, and I think, or next week, I think she's the one that's going to be more into hardcore by the looks of it. Cause she's way more aggressive. I mean, I know she's only one that's <laughs> babies are kind of aggressive when they're small, but she like screams and she's got the whole, the whole thing. So I think she might be the, the, the scene veteran. We'll see, you know? Um, so one thing I'm curious with joy wave too is, well, I guess a few things, were you like a, a founding member of the band or. No, I, I like, um, so essentially like i think they like started in like 2008 ish and um i like didn't really know much about them i remember like there was like city magazine and then there was like uh the other one that was like the dnc put out and i forget what that was called insider like joy Way, insider yeah insider. so joy Way was like always an insider um in 2009 we did a i was working at the eastman museum and we did a rochester themed show because it was like an anniversary, I believe, or something like that. And so um, we linked up with, I think, someone from Insider and we did like a, like, it was like talk, it was like a video sequence of a couple bands and like one of them was Joywave. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Like we got them on here, like it's in the museum. It's talking about Rochester. And then I just kind of like forgot about them for a while. And then when I was DJing at the Bunjar, they would always pick Thursdays to play. So like they would play a show on Thursdays and then we would DJ after because they knew that our like night was getting like really big. So like they knew we knew that we could have like a really good like thing kind of we never really like reached out to them to do it. But like I would like show up as they were playing and I was like, man, these guys are like really impressive. Like they have a real nice presence on stage. Like I feel like they're really put together. These are like cool, different sounding songs that like you don't really like hear all the time. And so 
I just like, you know, struck up a conversation. Cause like, I remember like Dan, Dan from the Joywave used to be on like some of the message boards, like maybe the, the send.cjb.net he was on. And I like in college, I bought like an acoustic guitar off of him and I still have, it's like sitting right here next to me. Um, and so like, I always knew who he was and I was like, yeah, it's cool. Like su super stoked. Like I know like in some scenes, sometimes people can be like rivals and be like, oh, if they're succeeding, like fuck those guys. But like, I like, I love it when like any band in Rochester succeeds because I'm like, it just makes the rest of us look good. Cause we're like, we're just like, yeah, it's like, hell yeah. I want all of you to succeed as best as you can. Um, I, I think it's so rad. So like, I was just watching them play and I was like, man, these guys are fucking great. And then, um, you know, I got to be friends with them a little more and talk to them and their keyboard player was leaving the band. He just wanted to duck out. And I was like, well, I mean, I could probably do it. And at the time I was like, I, I was thinking like, you know, I might want to like, see if I can like do some more music stuff like full time. And I kind of like, was like seeing uh, their trajectory is like uh, good. And I was like, maybe I could like, you know, help band if you guys want like someone in there, like I'll, I'll try to like, you know, do my best. Um, it was more of like a hired gun situation for that band, just the, the way that it's set up. Like it's very much like Dan's creative outlet. Um, but yes, yeah, so like I got to do a lot of cool stuff with them though. Like uh, we went down to CMJ and played like in 2012. So I got to like go see like a bunch of like really awesome shows and like, oh yeah, I have, I have some stories from that. Like I, I think like one show we played at this place called, um, it's still a venue, but it's like more serious. But like when we got there, it was like a house show venue, which is like fine. But we like literally walked in and I was like, I have to go to the bathroom so bad. We've been in the van for like three hours, like navigating New York. And like it, the bathroom was disgusting. And like, I, I had to like plunge the toilet and like almost like shove my hand like down a toilet like when we got there. Um, so like, yeah, we played like some like scrappy shows down in um, New York, like for CMJ. That was totally fun. Um, and like, you know, just ran around New York after and like ha just having a blast. And like, we got to go to South by Southwest in 2013, which, you know, a lot of people like might not have the stamina for something like that or the patience to be in crowds like that. But I like ate it up. I was like, I got to see so many fucking cool shows. Like all the bands that were about to get popular, like I like indie bands and stuff. I would like just walk around and like see stuff. And just like, I got to show them my wristband and walk in and like, just see these shows for free. And yeah, it was like, it was super rad. And then, um, you know, when like I was not, when I was done with cop or done with Joywave, Dan suggested to Kyle and Patricia from Cops that like, you know, why don't you pick up the two guys who used to be in Joywave and, and get them in your band, which was myself and a, a guy, Andy York, who's played in a bunch of bands and was in Joywave. He's actually who I replaced in Joywave. And he and I ended up in Cops. And like, yeah, I have like a lot of uh, stories from Cops because we just like, we, that's probably the band that I've like done the most with, like not surprisingly, but like, um, like just the opportunities that have come our way are like otherworldly. And it just like, it seems surreal looking back at it. Like, you know, we were on a major label for like a year and then we got booted, but like we went out to LA to like work with a bunch of producers. And like one of the producers we worked with John Feldman from Goldfinger. It was oh, like, cool. we worked with him for two days. Yeah, that was pretty cool. He, he was an interesting guy. He's like, um, you guys, he was flying in from, you guys, cops is on like a, like a soundtrack on like a Netflix film, aren't you? I think, yeah, prop. well, so we've been on a couple things. So we were on that TV show, You. Okay, we that's what I was, house. I think that's what I was thinking of. 
yeah, we were on Fuller House. Like there's a dance scene that the girls are like doing their like choreographed dance to. And they like, it's like, it's so funny because you hear the song like three times, but there's no vocals. And it's like, it's just the end of the song and it's like them finishing up. So that's like, that's like really cool and surreal. And then um, we worked with this guy, Sean Lopez, who was in that band Far. So like he worked with like Chino from the Deftones a lot. Mm-hmm. That was like, it was like, it was like super rad. Like got, we got flown out there and stayed in this like, luxurious like airbnb and like i mean it wasn't like luxurious luxurious but it was like you know it was cool it was like it was a good time and we got to like hang out in la and like just do some some fun stuff eat a lot of tacos one thing i want to ask before we dive more into cops um uh i had kevin mahoney on the podcast like two years ago and i know he's like kind of like another hired gun for those guys or whatever like was there any overlap with you guys in the band did you ever play with him at all or um, you know, with, with Kevin, uh, I never played with him, but like he was on tour with them when we went on tour with them, I believe, wait, was that right? I feel like we played a show with like Kevin in the band. Um, I really like Kevin. Like he's, he's great dude. Like I remember going to see his old bands, like against the odds, like at hardcore shows, like at St. Joe's. And like, I just, I thought they were so cool. And like, he's just, yeah, he's, he's a great dude. We like linked up with him and, uh, Nashville because he's living there and like I he wasn't yeah he wasn't playing in Joyrev at that time but he um oh god I don't know I feel so bad I can't remember it's kind of a blur but like yeah we showed up to Nashville and it was like his girlfriend's birthday and our singer's birthday so like we all just like hung out that night it was a lot of fun yeah he seems to be doing cool shit down there with like producing and stuff so like, like I said it was a couple of years ago I had him on here so but I definitely want to get him on again at some point to catch up or whatever you know yeah, um for sure what so what's the whole if you if you're able to want to what's the whole story behind being like dropped by a major or whatever oh yeah i'll, I'll tell you the story <laughs> it's not like as juicy as it might sound i don't know it was just like we got picked up for like a single and they really liked it it was a song called hot and they um they uh, took they took us to new york and we got to work on a music video for that with like some really good friends of ours. So like um, there's a production company called Ghost Cow and it's uh, it's our friends, John and Brandon. And they actually like shot a film, a full length film in Rochester a couple of years ago called Drunk Bus. Um, and it's like, it was, it was so much fun. Like we worked with them, like, uh, so we worked on this video with them uh, that the label paid for and then uh, so we got back to Rochester and then, you know, we did a tour with Joywave and they like footed a good chunk of the like rental. So like we got a sprinter to, um, to, to go on tour. It was an interesting tour because uh, like it was a, it was a Joywave tour and they had a boss. And I think like, I feel like Jimmy mentioned this like in his interview, but like tours like that are routed in such a bizarre way that like you literally like you have to drive overnight so like we didn't have the luxury of having a bus we had a sprinter and we actually we hired um austin lake who plays in uh he plays in like televisionaries right now but he was in a really cool band uh, one of those hilton bands um king vitamin that were like sounded kind of like modest mouse but like also like a little more angular and a little more like nasty um but yeah he's like super talented and such a nice guy and he um we hired him to be like our driver. So like, we definitely had to do like, you know, uh, 
like one of the worst drives is like we finished in like Salt Lake City and drove like to uh, Denver like overnight or something. And it was like, it was hellish. And it's like winter and the roads are frozen, but we had to do it because we didn't have like the luxury of being in a bus. So um, yeah, so like we were like doing stuff with the label and they were like, kind of like not, like it felt like they weren't really like paying attention to us or like we were just like we thought that like we, we did so much stuff ourselves like we shot videos and like got stuff produced and like we were just like so when we got to the label we were like all right cool so like now we have a label like we can get more done and I think we like both the label and us like we're looking at each other and we were like all right so like what are you guys gonna do like they were looking at us and they're like you guys know what you want to do because you're like the stars of like everything you do and you like have so much like stuff that you've done and so much stuff that you self-produced. And then like, we were like hoping that they would like, just like give us like the keys to the kingdom, like no pun intended. Cause it was like the, the label is based out of like Disney. It's like Disney music group. It's called Hollywood records. And wow. like, so we were like, yeah, we like want to like, you know, like get us out there. And like, I think that it was just like expectations were like mixed and matched where like, we thought that they were going to like, do more to like like we thought we could kind of go on like autopilot and they might just like I mean this is my perspective I don't want to speak for anyone else in the band but this is how I felt is that I was like okay so we're on the label now so like they're going to tell us what they want us to do and then they'll take it from there and like you know get us more of a base of listeners or like get us on the radio or whatever and then um we did the two-week writing session where we worked with like 10 different producers and like we we made a bunch of songs that were really cool and we made some that were like definitely not that cool and we like showed them to their A&R guy and he was like, huh, interesting. And so like, I, I don't think he like really got it. I don't think he really understood like the band from the get-go. Like, um, I, don't, I don't wanna like disparage anybody, but he has like a reputation. Like, I think like his biggest blunder is like pretty well known in the music industry. Like, I won't name his name, but like he, he passed up Wilco which is like, everyone's like, what? <laughs> like, um, and he like, so with us, he kind of was like, yeah, I just don't think I like want to work with this band anymore. And like, they were super great. Like they gave us all of our, our demos back, like all of our songs, like they don't hold any rights to any of our songs, which was amazing. And like we did, we landed like a deal. So like we did get paid a little bit and like we didn't have to pay them back like anything. So like, it worked out pretty well, like for, for both of us, like we could have been like, you know, we could have been like up shit creek with, without a paddle and like have to like pay this label back. So yeah, it was like, it was definitely like one of those things where like afterwards, like it was, it was kind of a bummer where we were like, well, shit, we just like pissed that away or whatever. Or like, that was just like, it was, it was a bummer for sure. And like our, our manager at that point, like, and I, I love Ben, like, so it's nothing against him, but he was like, yeah, I just like, don't know if it makes sense for me to like even manage you guys anymore. So we were like, Oh shit. And this is also, this is like the week of like Christmas in like 2018 or 19, 2018. So it was like, oh man, like we got to go into the holidays, like all bummed out by this, like, like being dropped. But um, yeah, like it, it hasn't, like, I don't think it like really put like too much of a damper on us. I mean, we've had some like changeover in the band. Like one of the original members, Kyle, he, he quit and he's doing his own stuff now in a band called Super Thrill, which is like him and this guy, Jeremy from the demos um and then like Andy our our drummer left as well and he's like doing his own musical thing and he's just like a super talented guy like great producer um he, he was doing a lot of production stuff for cops too so like that was kind of a bummer to like have that 
uh, no longer like directly in the mix, but um, yeah, like we're still doing stuff. Like we have a two, a two week tour coming up in like July and, you know, still shooting videos and stuff and like writing and recording and just seeing what happens. I don't know if I like, like, I think we, we were like, we're all about having fun now and less about like, you know, trying to conquer the music industry and not that we ever like felt like we were going to conquer anything, but like, you know, it like, we were just like, yeah, we like love this. We want to do music and like, we want to bring fun into people's lives and like, like it would be cool to do music, you know? Yeah. But I think the biggest claim to fame for me with Hollywood records before this interview was uh suicide machines was on that label and they had to, uh, oh, yeah. they had to change their name before they signed. Cause they used to be called uh, Jack Kevorkian and the suicide machines. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, Hollywood wasn't really into that idea, so they're they've been in suicide machines ever since. But I I, I like those albums on that label. So, yeah. um, now are you guys doing like do you do like festivals and stuff with that band? Like like we were talking about before, like, like big festivals and stuff. Or, um, we haven't really. Uh, I just think that that's because like the way that we sort of like came up as a band, like we like our major label stuff. Like we had a booking agent for a while, like. And he like didn't really do anything for us like he he was getting us like a couple little things but like wasn't really like pounding the pavement for us and then so we've basically been like diy other than that like we've been booking our own stuff ever since and we just got a new booking agent which um his name is nick and he's from syracuse and he is awesome like he's like a younger dude but like super into like everything like he likes punk and hardcore and like indie rock and he like loves us and he's like getting us on like uh he's booking our like two two week tour in july and like he's just really um you know like like doing it for us which is cool because like we've never had anybody in our corner who has like uh gotten gotten stuff like down did he have a hand in booking that when you guys played syracuse recently like within the last few months or whatever yeah we played so that's funny like we played the blue room which was like a basement and like we've never played a basement before and it was fucking wild. And like the kids like all got so into it. And we were like, we should play basements more often. And uh, like, it's so funny. Cause I'm like, a, um, like a month before that we played Mexico for like this like corporate gig. Like this, we, we played like a fringe fest or whatever with Joywave, the thing that they booked smokestacks. And then this guy like in the crowd saw us and was like, you guys are awesome. Like I work for this company that's like a logistics company. And we have a retreat in Mexico and we want you to be like the act that like plays it one night. And we were like, Aww. are you for real? Like, fuck yeah, we want to do that. So we did it. And it was like all inclusive and like wild. It was so rad. I saw pictures of that from your Instagram. It looked, I didn't know the story behind it though. That's pretty, that's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. And then when you're not busy with, with cops and doing stuff at the museum, you, you do the other band still too then or? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty like active. I would say like I like um I play in another band too. Like we're we're sort of like real casual, but it's uh, I'm playing drums in that and it's like a like rock band, like kind of like like XTC and like um stiff records type stuff. And uh that's called life skills, but we don't have any shows coming up and like everyone in the band's a dad but me. So like we're we're really like casual and we're like slowly putting things together um but yeah so like i i keep pretty active cops is is active but like it's also has some downtime so it's it's nice it's a good mix of a is, good balance 
I mean, I guess you, you I guess that you pretty much already answered the question because you work at the museum, but has cops ever been like, or could it be like a full-time gig or whatever? Or? Um, I mean, it, like, I think we were like looking at it, like it could be at some point, but like, we all have jobs too. Like, so Patricia runs like um, a company called Whole Wellness and it's like um, therapy and like, it's really cool. It's like very, I think it's very innovative. She like tackles a lot of different things with like a lot of different types of therapists and it's it's really cool like I'll put a plug in for her like if you are looking for like some sort of help with with uh therapy or whatever and it's, it's she's really inclusive and has like a lot of good things going um so yeah she runs a business outside of that and like you know I'm full-time at the museum and um our drummer is like a four hire drummer that we uh he was an Eastman grad but he's like this like super talented musician like he does his own music down in New York and produces and teaches, but he's like doing some really innovative, like it's like jazz minded, but he's also like into just like, like new, like it's like electronic, but like also he, he's just like a shredding drummer. So it's like, he just like, like kills it. Um, so yeah, like, I, I don't know if like, we're going to look at it like a full-time thing. Like I think we, Patricia and I are like, like, yeah, like it would be cool to like, keep, keep doing things and, being like a band but like i you know i need to pay my bills and um i'm past that point of like going all in if i'm not gonna like be able to you know support you know myself or or you know the life i live which you know is not crazy but like you know i have an apartment with my girlfriend and you know i can't just like bomb out on that and go like on tour and like not have like some rock stable at home you know and I guess kind of starting to wrap things up. I'm sure we could ask you a million more like tour stories and I'm other sure. things. I, I, I'll ask you a second. If, in a second, I guess, Travis, if we missed anything that you wanted to touch on, but is there anything, Greg, that you would have wanted to, to talk about in this conversation that we didn't touch on? No, I think we, I think we got to all of it. And, and I'm, you know, I'm interested. It's interesting hearing about cops. Um, I've really enjoyed, you know, kind of following your success uh, uh, with that band. Um, and I'm also interested to hear about Joy Wave too. That was really cool. Um, you know, again, both, you know, I feel like I'm just constantly stuck listening to hardcore and, and punk and metal because that's what resonates with me. Um, but, uh, you know, I just love having, you know, a band like Joywave being from Rochester. Like, it's just, yeah. it's just so good that we have, you know, like a band that people in other cities are aware of and familiar with. Yeah. Um, especially because they like have a lot of fun with it. Like they have a good sense of humor about that totally different style of music, but it, it kind of reminded me, reminds me a little bit of like what Buffalo had with every time I die. Like again, an, another band's not, you know, it's very proficient, excellent musicians, but not exactly like my favorite style of music, but yeah. it's just cool that something like that exists like in the region for us to enjoy. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Yeah. I guess with that being said, Travis, like I said, I'm, I'm sure we could probably do a whole nother episode of, of, you know, anecdotes yeah. and stuff like that. And obviously with what happened yesterday, I kind of wanted to make sure we touched on that in the beginning too. Yeah. Um, but is there anything that, that you would want in an interview that we didn't uh, touch on tonight, I guess? Uh, yeah. I feel like we covered a lot of cool stuff. Like, uh, I mean, if I, I, I probably, I do have probably a billion other stories, which anytime I'd be happy to tell more, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been cool to like go down memory lane and like rack my brain about the, the formative years of my youth. And um, yeah, it's like super cool. I'm like glad to see you're doing this. And like, 
all the interviews you've, you've been doing have been so rad. And like, I listened to some of Tom Ranger, like I never met him, but like, yeah, he's saying in um, Trouble Loves Me, which was like, again, like one of my first hardcore shows. And I thought they were so awesome. I bought the tapes. It was like cool to like hear somebody like that talk. And um, yeah, I just, I think it's, it's super rad. Like the sort of like renaissance of like Rochester hardcore going on. It's super cool. Like both, both you and Greg, are doing like really cool work. I love it. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun reconnecting with Josh over these last couple of years. And, you know, I've said it on, I think every time Josh has had me on, but just doing the Rochester Hardcore History Instagram has just been such a lifesaver during the pandemic. I, I started it um, shortly after my, my oldest was born um, when I was having kind of a hard time and, and that kind of helped me pull me out of a funk, but it really um, yeah, I've just loved reconnecting with people like you, Travis and Josh, uh, uh, through hardcore and our love of, of music. So thanks for having me here. That's been cool. I appreciate the the positive feedback, guys. Before I give you guys a chance to do your your shout outs or if you want to plug anything, um, I do want to say I'm kind of starting to realize now, like some podcasts do like different seasons. And I've always entered this in as season one, even though it's been going on for like two years. Yeah. Now I'm kind of starting to realize that like, even though I've had some people on more than once, like there's people that I want to have on to tell part two of their story now. And maybe I should start thinking about that <laughs> as season two, finally, you know what I mean? So yeah, we'll have to start turning the gears on that, I guess. Um, Travis, if you want to give any shout outs or any, anything you want to plug for the three or four projects you got going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, cops will be going out on tour in like uh, July. I think we have Rochester date in there, which will probably be like later July. Um, uh, Pamelo is playing a show on Ju uh, June 10th at um, Radio Social, and that is with Chores, which are kind of like a shoegazy, like poppy, um, like indie pop band, like old old school indie pop. And um, Edatrix, which is like a band from New York, I think. I've heard really good things. I still haven't checked them out, but they're going on tour with like Deerhoof soon. So yeah, that's gonna be really cool. And that's like right around my birthday. So I hope people show up to that and check it out. Yeah, just remind me. Well, uh, I'll make sure I, I post a flyer with all the stuff that I post on the uh, Instagram and whatnot. Yeah. Um, Greg, you uh, yeah, yeah, you can just follow me at Rochester Hardcore History on Instagram. Um, I have uh, I try to post a couple times a week. I'll post old show flyers, pictures from old shows. I also have uh, an archive of music at the link in the bio, which I encourage everyone to look at. And then I'll also just plug. It's not my show. Have nothing to do with it. Uh, but Drowning Man's coming here on uh, the 20th, uh, Friday, um, coming up uh, at the Chaos Compound. And I'm excited to see them and hope they have a, a good turnout for their show here. Another another good band from, from uh, I guess, the era I love the most of hardcore. I, I definitely want to thank Travis and Greg for doing the interview tonight. Um, like I said in the beginning of the episode, I'm going to say now again, uh, I considered canceling this interview and, you know, putting the, the podcast on pause for a couple of weeks because... You know, it just didn't really seem right doing it. But then I started thinking more about it. And I'm like, maybe a couple hours of us talking is what some people need. I know it was probably good for us to do it tonight. So, um, yeah, for sure. you know, I'm glad we were able to do it. And, you know, I just want to, again, echo what we said at the beginning. Well, we didn't really say it, but I know we can all agree. Uh, fuck racism. You know, um, again, I know that there's a lot of other probably wrinkles to the story with the kid only being 18, but still like now that me and Greg have kids, I can speak for him too. I know we're not going to let anything like that happen to our kids. And I'm just, as a parent, it really, you know, worries me seeing shit like that. So again, we could talk about that for a full episode and I, I plan to, to keep this conversation going, 
But anyways, like I said, thanks to Travis and Greg for doing this interview. As always, shout out to Rob Antonucci and Jim Byrne for helping out with the podcast. Uh, thanks to my family for always supporting what I do. Uh, and also thanks to all the Patreon supporters for helping keep things afloat. Um, I have an upcoming show on July 16th. Uh, I've got a ton of episodes before that, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it more on here before that. Um, as always, make sure you give us a follow on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. It's at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. On Twitter, it's at Podcast Hardcore. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. See everybody real soon and stay safe.